have here two great items on the porch here. Uh, I can't wait to uh, open these up. Look at this. We have the Batman Returns trading cards, a, an unopened pack from 1991, and it feels like a, a metal. It's a metal tube. Is it plastic? No, it's metal. A metal tube with sort of a screw top. Uh, it's Tabaka Special from Drew, Drew Estate. Uh, this is Dulce. This is a coffee-flavored cigar. Can you imagine? I have I have old trading cards and a coffee-flavored cigar. What better way to start off an episode of the Overnight Scoops? Let's see about this cigar here. I got this at that uh, Casa de Monte Cristo. Oh, what the hell? It's like loose tobacco in here. Hmm, that's weird. Dulce. Wow. Oh, wow. It's supposed to be like coffee-flavored. Nice. Whoa! Sorry about that. I'm situated here. <laughs> Hello. Sorry, sorry. Let me pause while I get this cigar going. All right. I got it going. Oh, it is very sweet. It's like a cup of coffee with milk and sugar. Mm. Nice. A coffee-flavored cigar to start the day. Wonderful. So, yeah, we have. I have this pack here. One pack. Uh... One of my coworkers got this for, for, for sort of as a present for all my coworkers. At least the ones he knew that were that would might be into such things from the nineties. See on the front it says Batman Returns is from the Tops Stadium Club. Fifteen super premium movie cards, and there's the Batman logo. On the back, the Tops Company Inc., Dur Durye, Pennsylvania. Copyright nineteen ninety one, DC Comics. Let's see. You can also get the movie souvenir magazine. Let's see what we're going to get in here. Pretty exciting. See? Yeah, this, yeah, this, is, this has not been opened. Look, these were packed in here in 1991. That's a few years ago now. It's 2022 now. It's, it's, it's a future date. It's a future time. Whoa, they're all stuck together. Wait a second. They've been like fused together. They've been like fused together over time here. Wow, they are really like stuck together. That's wild. How many years ago is that? Let's see. This, from '91, we had till 2001, and then 2011, and that's 20 years, and that's not even close to now. And then 2021, that's 30 years. So 31 years these cards have been in here. Oh, this is the one with the penguin. I got card number 44 here. Batman Returns is even more of a social satire than its predecessor. Here we see the outside of Penguin's campaign headquarters, all part of Max Shrek's cynical scheme to control Gotham City. <laughs> These things are stuck together, man. Okay, they come apart. And there's, uh, was that Danny DeVito as, as Penguin? Oh, there's even like a uh, silver foil there. That's a pretty good shot. <laughs> Am I looking at these things? What's this one say? Oh, the, like there's behind the scenes kind of stuff on the back, and then t number eighteen. Tim Burton directs actors Christopher Walken and Danny DeVito in the Penguin's icy lair. Max Shrek is a corporate vampire draining the very life and spirit from Gotham City. And there's like a close-up picture on the front. Did I see? I must have seen this movie. I, I would think I saw it. I don't know. It's interesting that this has to do with a, a DC superhero because I just saw 
on Friday a movie called Black Adam, another DC superhero. So let's see, here's card 59. Bruce Wayne, Michael Keaton, is hard at work in the Batcave. As in the first Batman movie, the Cape Crusader's hidden laboratory is designed in a refreshingly practical, almost nuts and bolts fashion, except perhaps for the Batmobile's high tech revolving platform. Hmm. What is that an image of? It's almost like Batman on a str on a street fighting some thugs maybe. Very interesting. <laughs> I wouldn't have th I would not have thought about uh Batman Returns. It's not something I really care for that much. The Batman movies, not something I really think about that much, but <laughs> it's awesome to sort of return to that. Oh look, here's Catwoman and Batman. Card 58. Oh, this cigar is pretty good. It's a pretty wild cigar. Selena Kyle's murderer, Max Trek, was conceived by Tim Burton as a sort of figurative vampire. Trivia fact, amaze your friends. Wow, this is so 90s. Max Schreck was the name of the German actor who portrayed the villainous vampire in the 1922 classic film, classic Nosferatu. Wow. Interesting. There's Catwoman and Batman fighting. We have your card 47. <laughs> what's going on with this stuff? Do I get like a checklist or something in here? Like what's going on with these cards? Are these cards worth, are there like, like maybe card 47, the next one is like worth like more money than the other ones? Like are these, are these worth big, big bucks or how many cards are in here? I thought there was only 15. There seems to be like 30 or 40 cards in here. They're, they're like stuck together. What the hell? All right. I think I got it here. <laughs> Come on. It's hard to smoke a cigar and look at Batman cards at the same time. See how they're st like stuck together? Card number 47, directing Selena Kyle, Michelle Pfeiffer, was a delight for Tim Burton. The character's transformation from insecure secretary to predatory criminal was sudden and extreme, yet Selena maintains her quirky sense of humor throughout. <laughs> it was Catwoman whipping Batman. Did I drop it? It's interesting we're starting off with cards because, as you may have noticed, today's episode is called uh, Play Flea Devil Solitaire using different cards. But, uh, yes, today's episode is very card-oriented. Yes, later on, I will give you the complete rules to Flea Devil Solitaire. I wanted to do it in audio form because, uh, you know, I do, have a, I do have a printed version I've been working on. But I want to do it in audio because this will then, this this show, this piece, this MP3 file, this piece of audio will allow you to play a Flea Devil Solitaire, which I do believe has reached a plateau. It's reached a benchmark. Call it V1 or V... I don't know how many versions I've... I felt I was done in the past, but we'll, we'll get to Flea Devil Solitaire. And as you see, the, the new logo on the show art. All right, what do we got next here? Number 93. Under Tim Burton's supervision, Catwoman's quirky sense of humor was carefully developed by screenwriters Daniel Waters, who worked on Heather's. And Wesley Strick, who worked on Cape Fear. Wow. There's a close-up shot of uh, Catwoman. <laughs> who is this parking in front of my house now? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Can't I just look at Batman, Batman cards in peace? And smoke my coffee-flavored cigar? Who are these people? Card number 87. Imagine in 91 you're collecting these cards... 91, 91, not 97, 91. 
Director Tim Burton grew up in Burbank, California, where he sated his imagination's ravenous hunger by watching old horror movies on television and drawing cartoons. Here, he takes the Dark Knight detective, Michael Keaton, through his cinematic paces. All right, they're leaving now. Okay. It's Tim Burton doing his directing work. And on the front is an image of Batman, like, bashing some sort of red-haired street thug in the head. Great. See a lot of behind the scenes, premium uh, premier movie cards. What do they call them? Premium movie cards? Premium. So do they have like regular movie cards that kind of suck and these are the premium versions? Like how does that work? Well, I guess it's it's like glossy printed on both sides. It's not, it's not like that newsprint. Number 40 here. Tim Burton was determined that Bruce Wayne be as interesting a character as the Caped Crusader, robbed of his parents at an early age, blessed with a fortune that enabled him to pursue, <coughs> pursue his <coughs> incredible crime-fighting career, Bruce is a very private person, a true individual. Imagine being assigned the duty to write the copy on the back of these cards, and there's an image of Batman. There it is. And there, I mean, I, I mean, you can't avoid Batman. Batman is everywhere. But I've never been like a particular Batman fan, you know. But you can't avoid it if you're into comics and stuff. Ooh, there's a picture of Tim Burton, a young Tim Burton in 91. Burton and Batman seem made for each other. The director's concept of the mythic vigilante drew audiences in with its vision of a futuristic landscape that straddled the line between gritty urban realism and f fabled apocalypse. These are pretty well written. Fabled apocalypse? What does that even mean? It's the fabled apocalypse of Batman. Gotham City. Do they ever acknowledge that Gotham City is in New Jersey? Right? It wasn't that the theory that uh, Gotham City was actually, if you were to figure out where it was physically located, it's actually in New Jersey in the DC universe. They're thinking down by near like Cape May, maybe, or maybe, right? Yeah, so somewhere in that Chesapeake Bay area in Jersey. Batman's from Jersey. What do you? Come on. Here's a picture of uh, Catwoman. Here is uh, number three. Wow. Is there a card two oh nine? Maybe not. I don't think it goes that high. The chemistry between Michael Keaton and Michelle Pfeiffer is one of the major charms of Batman Returns. Their on-screen relationship is hot, an oft-times liberal, liter an oft-times literal battle of the sexes. It's like two stuck together here, <coughs> and there's was like her blonde hair is coming out of her Catwoman mask. Why does this even? There's, I guess there's 15. I don't know. It's a lot. This is a, a lot of entertainment in one small pack of cards. That is number 19. Batman Michael Keaton confronts bloated, freakish adversary the Penguin, Danny DeVito, outside Arctic World, the abandoned and submerged section of a former zoo that has become the Penguin's domain. And there's an image of Batman and the Penguin fighting. They, could, they couldn't get Bridges Meredith? I mean, I guess he wasn't available. Was he just too old? Or is he dead? I don't know what happened. He was, he was the Penguin, right, in uh, the TV show. In the 66 show. Here's number six. It, we're learning a lot about this movie that I, I, I wouldn't even have th thought about talking about here. So must have been, this is the second movie then, right? Yeah. Uh, this is some cigar. 
feel like I'm drink, drinking a cup of cafe au lait. Michelle Pfeiffer lends both her lustrous talent and her extraordinary beauty to the role of Selena Kyle, a.k.a. Catwoman. Since the character literally whips her adversaries into submission, Pfeiffer was taught the proper use of this elegant yet dangerous weapon. <laughs> it's pretty well written. And there's Catwoman kind of straddling up to uh, Batman. Great. <laughs> We're only a few left here. What's going on here? What is it? Again, these noises in the distance. You know, it was so weird. Last night, um, I heard this weird, like, screeching noise in the distance. It was like this... So hard to, like... It just sounded like cars going by in the distance or screeching in the distance. Not like this sound of this endless... What is that? Why are there... I come out on my porch and there's just these endless annoying noises. Hello. Right? But anyway, I, I even came out on the porch and I heard it in the... I could not tell what it was. It could have been some sort of construction. It was late at night though. It was like 10 o'clock. Was like some sort of distant construction or whining noises. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, it seemed a little supernatural, but I'm sure, there, I'm sure there was some sort of logical explanation, hopefully. What? Where is that coming from? That sound. Oh my! I guess it's just leaf blowers down the street. All right, only a few left here. We have number sixty-two. Why is Batman such a popular costumed hero? Perhaps the lack of genuine superpowers makes him more relatable. Batman wears heavy-duty armor to protect himself, and he uses all manner of weaponry in his battle against crime. It's a picture of uh, Batman and the. And the uh, penguin in sort of a calm moment where they're just hanging out as, as buds, as, as bros. They're not really fighting yet. Number 48 here. Director Tim Burton prepares Danny DeVito, the penguin, for an upcoming scene. DeVito was always Burton's first choice for the role. And the actor approached it with his customary relish. And there is uh, the penguin in, like in, in a sewer or something. He looks very upset. He's stuck in the sewer water. Finally, we have number 21. Batman is a relevant character, declares director Tim Burton, a self-confessed fantasy fanatic. Of all the comic book superheroes, he was always the most dot, 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 realistic. And our final image here is... What the heck is this? Maybe this is the Batcave? There's a bunch of Batman costumes in, like, a closet. I guess that's what it is. So there you go. There's the the Batman cards. Thank you uh, to my co-worker for that. So anyway, yeah, as I mentioned, um, you know, uh, what was it? On Thursday, right, I, I went to the, uh, no, hold on. Wednesday was the last time we spoke. I went to the, Ameri- I, I actually recorded the whole show at the American Dream Mall, right? That was wild. And the, um, the lift ride home, that was talk- the guy I was talking to the guy, I think his name was Paul. <coughs> He's like, hey, how you doing today? I'm like, oh, just free entertainment wandering around the mall he's like oh i love wandering around that mall you know he's telling me about his life he has like an online hat business he sells hats so we're having a great conversation on the way home meanwhile on the way there didn't even say a word but this guy sort of uh, he said he was from california and came to new jersey and we were like we were like best friends for about 10 minutes and then like hey all right paul have a good day bye kind of cool so yeah, then on Thursday, I went into um, yeah I, I went into uh, 
Yeah, I still had the day off, but we had planned. I went to uh, meet my coworkers at this place called Bar Verde, this uh, vegan taco place down on Second Avenue, north of Houston Street. Bar Verde. Let me write that down. Bar Verde. Yeah, this was a great place. Um, Bar Verde. We had some uh, mezcal margaritas, which were great. Really good. Really good. Um, and some great vegan tacos. Some some. Uh, they had something like like sort of fried plantains and something like or, or something like that. And then chips and guac. Man, it was so good. And then. You know, <laughs> later at, at work there was a sample sale. This is I work for a fashion company, so you get really incredible deals on leftovers or prototypes or whatever. They call them sample sales. It's it's one of the employee benefits. So it was happening in the office. You you know, usually it's it's on another floor or something. So the way I timed it out, you had to, you had to get a certain um, time slot. So I thought I'd have plenty of time because I was down there. I figured I'd go to Toy Tokyo. And then go over to Broadway and go to the Strand Bookstore and then to Forbidden Planet. And then finally mosey on back up to the office. As it happened, um, we kind of ran out of time. But it was fun because we, we left Bar Verde, started going up 2nd Avenue. And um, that's when my coworker gave me the, uh, the Batman cards. And, and he, he gave it to a couple people. And, um, and then we all went to Toy Tokyo. It was pretty surreal. You know, it's like a it's a figurine store. You know, all the collectible figurines and stuff. It was I hadn't been there in a long time. It was very surreal walking around there with my coworkers. My one coworker no, knows me and him know more about Toy Tokyo. The other two probably were out of their element in a way. Uh, and then yeah, we were so again. I wanted to was hoping ran out of time, so we just we went to Astor Place. You know, take the take the six up to uh, Grand Central, and then walk to the office and. Uh, did the sample sale. It was pretty wild. Got some good stuff. Uh, my wife was happy, and uh, I took the bus home. That was Thursday. See, I'm trying to I'm trying to get the most out of my staycation. I guess it was a staycation, right? Um, and then, uh, so then on uh, Friday, I wanted to do something. I, I, I you know, I, I want, you know, and I, I had the day free, basically, but I had just taken, you know, the bus into New York City, so I was kind of I was kind of like burnt out on the whole bus into New York City thing. So I'm like, why don't I go see a movie? Because there's a movie theater called a- AMC in Clifton, which opened in 1999. In fact, it, w- it opened right around the time that Phantom Menace came out, and uh, that was when they were showing Phantom Menace 24 hours a day. This is something that will never happen again. The hype for Phantom Menace in '99. The first Star Wars movie since uh, 1983's Return of the Jedi. And the hype was at an all-time high for Phantom Menace. Now, of course, I was... Uh, oh, sorry, slipped into the mirror universe there. I pause and unpause, and I got, I got backwards. But anyway, as I was saying, I, I was a, a really so anticipating this movie, Phantom Menace, that I, f- I, I went on all of the, uh, the sites that were, you know, in the years preceding 1999, trying to, uh, you know, get all the leaks and find out about the, uh, 
you know, what the movie was all about. So by the time I saw Phantom Menace at, at there, at, at, at the Clifton Commons, it, it was general cinemas at the time, since been taken over by AMC. Um, I, I knew the entire movie almost like inside and out. Like I, I, and, and I had gone to Toys R Us at midnight if, a week earlier or so to buy Phantom Menace toys. So I knew what to expect, and I, was, I felt kind of neutral about the movie at the time, but there were a lot of Star Wars fans who... Um, refused any spoilers and wanted to have this fresh experience, like just just like when I saw the first Star Wars movie. I want to go in and see it fresh. And that was a bad idea for this movie because, a- as I'm sure you know, this movie was very controversial and it did not satisfy people's expectations of what a Star Wars movie should be, right? And uh, and it crushed many people's dreams. Though I was I was kind of neutral about it at the time. And I didn't dislike it, I don't think. And, of course, in retrospect, uh, I feel like the movie has aged very well, and I absolutely love the movie now. I quote from it all the time, and, you know, like prequel memes. Like, the the prequels are much better than it seemed they were at first. I mean, I even remember giving a rather harsh review to the third movie in 2005, right, um, Revenge of the Sith. But my stance has softened since then. Um... But yeah, at that time, people were devastated by this Phantom Menace because the movie, the problem of the the movie, it has a good story. It's just that George Lucas um, decided to write and direct it, and he's not a great writer. He can come up with the story and everything, but he should have gotten a screenwriter to write the better dialogue and write the pacing and everything else, and then he should have gotten a better director to direct it, right? But what really matters is the story, and the story was really good. And all of its quirks and, and weirdness and silliness is uh, <clears throat> really is quite, in retrospect, really quite charming. And, it's, and, and it does the aspects of the movie, a lot of the dialogue and the characters and stuff, is so bad it's good, right? I mean, not everything that's bad is so bad it's good, but it's, it becomes very likable it becomes very approachable because it's um so bad it's good right the dialogue and everything and we didn't know what bad star wars was until disney took over and started making this garbage their movies and the tv shows until andor of course which is fantastic and certainly the best star wars uh, since the prequels absolutely there's no doubt in fact some people are saying it's the best star wars ever which that's a very very hard to say I would still think that, uh, you know, the original movie Star Wars from 77 and Episode 4 A New Hope, whatever, is the, is the best of them. But anyway, somehow there's this footnote that, wow, they actually, Andor is actually a really good TV show and a really good Star Wars TV show. It's like a miracle. It's a Star Wars miracle. Anyway, so they were showing um, Phantom Menace 24 hours a day. And I had this one movie-going experience there that was just so wonderful. I'm so glad I did it. I went to see Phantom Menace, which is like a two-and-a-half-hour movie, before work one day. So I think I went there at like 4.30 a.m. or something. And there were like two other guys in the theater that were asleep. I guess they were, must have been staying there 24 hours a day, you know. Some sort of Star Wars marathon or something. But I went and watched the movie for like 4 o'clock in the morning. Then I went home and I went to work on the bus. <laughs> it was wild. It was a wild time. I loved 24 hours a day they were showing it. When have they ever done that before? 
There's, there's such demand for this movie. It's being shown 24 hours a day. It was wild. So this is the theater I went to, which is like about a half-hour walk from here. And uh, so I decided to see Black Adam because I, ha- I, have a sus- I had a suspicion it would be good <clears throat> um, because some of the DC stuff has actually been good. Uh, you know, like the first Shazam I thought was good. I saw that on a plane uh, so somewhere, maybe to Texas or something. I saw Shaz- the first Shazam. Um, and then the Suicide Squad movie, the second one, was actually pretty good. And then the Peacemaker TV series. Very violent, but actually very good, though. And I feel like D- the DC movies and TV shows are somehow approaching the superhero topic in a way that works. Whereas I feel all the Marvel stuff, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I don't like it. It just doesn't feel right. Because I feel that we have to judge a movie or a TV show by, uh, you know, what what it's... Uh, you know, hold on. Let me go inside. Freezing out here. That is. Um, ah, it got so cold. It was so warm, and then it got so cold. Anyway, right? You could, I think, judge a, uh, you know, any any work of art, right? Is is trying to achieve something and something with storytelling, whatever. And it sort of establishes what is it trying to do. Some movies are not very ambitious, and some are really ambitious, right? And if a movie's really, really ambitious and it doesn't and it does not uh, live up to what it set it what it sort of set for its goals, then it's kind of bad, you know it's kind of like uh, you know it can seem pretentious, it can seem derivative, it can seem you know poorly written or just off the mark, right But when a movie really establishes what it's trying to do and then goes forth and achieves that uh, and succeeds, it really doesn't matter if it was super ambitious or not. Is if, it succeeds, if it succeeds, then it can be a good movie. So that's what I think about Black Adam, right? This stars The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, as Black Adam, who is part of the Shazam or Captain Marvel universe, right? So his, his powers and his origin are, you know, a sort of a adjunct to... Uh, you know, the character originally called Captain Marvel, who now has to be called Shazam, at least in the movies, I think can still be called Captain Marvel in the comic books. <coughs> you know, anything with Captain Marvel, it's super confusing because, right, Captain Marvel was a comic series that they got sued by DC because the character was too similar to Superman, and then they got sued by Marvel because the guy's name is Captain Marvel. And Marvel then had a multiple characters called Captain Marvel, a ton of different characters called Captain Marvel, because they're Marvel comics. But Captain Marvel is not in this movie. Black Adam is. So he's in this uh, fictional uh, Middle Eastern country called Kandahar. And he was there in ancient times. Kind of, It was kind of like ancient Egypt. I guess Kandahar is kind of like Egypt. And um, he was this guy in ancient times that gets granted these powers by, by, by the, these wizards, the power of the gods. And then he's revived in, in modern times. And he's angry. He's sort of like an anti-hero, kind of like a villain. And then they call in uh, the Justice Society. This is the really good part of the movie. It's um, Hawkman. And it's interesting because it does seem like this movie is trying to follow a lot of the Marvel stuff. So 
their implementation of Hawkman in the movie is really good. He's very much like Iron Man in a way. He's like this rich guy with his estate, and he has this sort of mechanical suit, this uh, Hawkman suit. But um, And also Dr. Fate, p- played by Pierce Brosnan. It's so great to see like Dr. Fate in a movie. It's, it's really well done. And then two other characters, like Adam Smasher, who's like the son or grandson of Adam, who can grow real grow into a giant. Very reminiscent of when Ant-Man turned into a giant in one of those Marvel movies. But I do think Adam predates Ant-Man, right? Probably. That's the thing. Well, you might say, well, you know, uh, uh, Hawkman is like Iron Man. But when, then again, a Hawkman was created before Iron Man. Dr. Fate is like Dr. Strange. But again, I maybe don't quote me on it, but I think Dr. Fate was invented before Dr. Strange. Then there's a, a woman with a young woman with wind powers. I think her name was Whirlwind. I forget exactly. Um, so they're sent in this jet over to Kandahar to subdue Black Adam because he's going on a rampage. And um, so, as I said, the movie really feels more like an actual comic book with that kind of corny, tongue-in-cheek edge. Uh, And somehow the Marvel movies try to do more. They're trying to be more serious, more snarky. Like, they want to add all this stuff to what essentially should not be a difficult genre to create movies in, comic book movies. Now, as as an aside, I do want to say that I don't know that the general public being enormously fascinated with superheroes and every other movie being a superhero movie, it's it's not something that I, I, I don't think is necessarily good for society. It's like an infantilization of society. And this goes to, right, you know, like when I was a when I was a kid and I was into comics, people thought you were like an idiot, like a jerk, a geek, a nerd, and those were negative terms back then for being into comic books. What are you, a child? You're reading about these these men in tights, like running around and you know, like shooting people at, like with, with laser blasts. Like, what are you, five? You know, no, you don't understand. It's really good. Ash, gotta get out of here. So we wore it as a badge of honor, like like we. The nerds knew something that the the regular people didn't, and this was our thing, right? We embraced it. We loved it. And it's been kind of horrifying in a way that it's become so mainstream. I don't think it should be mainstream. I remember being at the New York Comic Con and uh, really viewing it as kind of apocalyptic that all the adults, not all the adults, but so many adults in society were obsessed with these cartoon characters. Though I, it's it's fine for me. I, I I don't think it's good for an entire society to be like that. But anyway, if you're going to make a, a superhero movie, I think it's better to make it more true to the tone of the comics. And I mean, in a distant way, you know, as I mentioned, the Batman TV show that started in 1966 was ultra campy with that tongue-in-cheek edge and. Certainly, Black Adam is not at that level, but there's a little bit of that, which I think is very refreshing and very good. And one thing about Black Adam is really good superhero fight sequences, like really well done. Because you always imagine, like, what would it look like on screen for these superheroes to fight each other? You know, because Black Adam is like Superman-level power, basically, and... uh, <clears throat> and Hawkman in this version is is almost his equal, not quite, but he's really super powerful fighter. And then, of course, Doctor Fate has almost godlike powers, and you know. And anyway, it actually uh, was pretty good. I'm not; it's certainly not a cinematic masterpiece, but for what it is, 
it was actually it was actually pretty good because I do enjoy, though I wasn't as much into DC back in the day. Like in the eighties, I was more into Marvel comics, but I really do appreciate the more comic aspect of DC comics. And I think you know I I've been fascinated by the, by the DC comics of the seventies and eighties um, since then. In fact, I have that book. Where's that book? The uh, do I have it here? The DC's Who's Who, right? Yeah, there it is. The huge omnibus of uh, hun- like a thousand pages of uh, the 1980s DC's like a character encyclopedia. Yeah, I really love that stuff. Is Black Adam in there? Let me see. Where is my uh, copy? Yeah, here it is. No, that's not it. Where is my... Uh... Oh, there it is. This sort of... It's supposed to be a coffee table book. It should be front and center. This is like my prized possession, this book. Hold on. I can't quite get it. It's stuck back there. I was wondering where that was. There it is. Okay. <laughs> ah! This is a huge book. This is a Who's, who's Who Omnibus, number one. And it is, uh, yeah, it's like 1,300 pages long. Cost a pretty penny, but it was worth it. And it's just all of the original Who's Who. Let's see what they say about Black Adam in here. It's, it's, it's alphabetical. And then there's a few update ones in there, too. Brainwave Jr., Brainiac 5, Brainiac. I, I was just listening to that song, the intro and the outro by the Bonzo Dog Band. Good to see Brainiac on banjo. Yes. The Black Racer. <laughs> kind of DC's version of Silver Surfer. I don't know which came first. Black. A lot of characters with the word black. Black Adam. Is, is Black Adam even in here? No. Now, wait a minute. What happened with this character? Here, here's Katmatui. And a magenta-skinned woman, Green Lantern. Hold on. Let me look in the index here. Ah, This book is so big. I'm not holding it properly. Black Adam. Okay, he's in the update, page 949. Okay, hold on, hold on. Let's see. So was he created later? 949. Oh, this is such a cool book. This is like the best book ever. It really is a treasure. Yeah, I remember reading about it like years before. I mean, I, and I had all the PDFs of this stuff, but having an actual book. Black Adam, there's the character. First appearance, Marvel Family Number One, current version. Hmm. So he must it must have been like an eighties thing, Black Adam. Oh, okay. His powers on saying the name Shazam, Teth Adam, that, that his name in the movie was Teth Adam, and then in the ending he changes his name to Black Adam, was transformed by an enchanted bolt of lightning into a superhuman being with the powers of six Egyptian gods, including super strength, virtual invulnerability, super speed, and the ability to fly. If Black Adam says Shazam again, another bolt of mystic lightning will return him to his original human form. Nice. He was six foot tall and he weighed 198 pounds. Wow. Oh, look, Bizarro is on the other page. Anyway, um... Yeah, and it's funny because, like, 
on Rotten Tomatoes, like the critic score is so low, but the audience score is is so high. It sort of shows that, like, I don't know why the critics hate a movie like that so much, but the people seem to love it. There's a lot of that going on. It seems like the film critics were told what to, how to spin their reviews, you know, before they even see the movie. Anyway. Yeah, and then I walked back. It was it was kind of a nice walk. It was it was really cold out, but I had a, you know I have a coat and a hat and gloves and a scarf and everything. And walked back through the park, went to the gazebo and stuff. It was a very moody. It was a very moody afternoon. Oh yeah, I also went to uh, Barnes and Noble after the movie, and uh, got some more decks of cards for Flea Devil Solitaire playtesting. Yeah, I gotta tell you, I have been. Playtesting Flea Devil nonstop. And as I told you on a recent episode, um, I was really not happy with my playtesting. So I finally developed, I finally tuned the game with its rules to a point where uh, it was not too easy and not too hard. And, uh, you know, because I feel like as I'm playtesting it, I'm getting better at it. So anyway, later on, I'm going to give you a full rundown of the rules so that the, the this audio later on in the show will be all you need to play the game. Now, of course, I do have a print version, as I mentioned, but the purpose of this audio coming up is going to be anyone that has this audio in whatever form, at whatever point in the future, will be able to play the game. It will be a record of the game, right, as it currently stands. And I'm so happy I was able to get it tuned to the degree I have been. So we'll check that out a little later. So anyway, I, th- I think it was on uh, Sunday. Oh, wait a minute. So yeah, so Friday I saw the movie. Saturday we had some friends over and we had a game night. And then Sunday was just kind of like a day of rest. And um, I started watching this uh, this new Netflix show called 1899, right? Didn't really know much about it, but I knew it was by the same creative team that did Dark. Uh, fantastic time travel show. Uh, it's in German. Recommend watching the original language with the subtitles. And um, Kitty, what's the matter? Mojo. And uh, so Dark, really good show. Time travel in, in this German town. It's really great. Highly recommended. I'd give it A+. Plus. What a great show. So this, the creators are, are coming out with a new show called 1899. And I just heard about it a week or two ago. I had no idea it was in the, in the works. This is the kind of thing that if I had been following it, I probably would have spent years like following the progress of this show, 1899. Anyway, um, and I saw the premise, which they, they present. The premise is it's 1899, and there's a, a steamship crossing the Atlantic from Europe, uh, bringing some folks over to America. And uh, about four months prior, one of their sister ships, this is the Kerberos, the, one of the sister ships owned by the same shipping company called the Prometheus, vanished. Without a trace. No one knows what happened to it. So as the Kerberos is crossing from Europe to America, they receive a, a, a transmission, a Morse code, that they think may be from the, uh, from the Prometheus. And then they, what will they find? What happened to the Prometheus? This is the setup of the show, right? Now, this show is uh, really, really ambitious. Um, it has a huge cast. And it's done in many different languages. So there's, the ship has people in all different, from all different countries there. So, so a lot of the characters are speaking in their native language, right? People speaking English, people speaking uh, French, 
German, Danish, Polish, Cantonese, etc. Right. So when you're watching, you got to be careful with your settings because uh, it should default to, um, you know, if you're watching, if you're an English speaker, that you will hear the English stuff without subtitles, and then the other languages will have subtitles. But you could mistakenly hit the dub version where everything is dubbed in English, which in this case doesn't work because one of the one of the aspects of the show is that on the ship, as these characters are talking through all these situations, a lot of the characters aren't understanding what's being said, and that's part of the show. So if you're just watching it all dubbed in English, it's, it's really going to take away from it. But in the sense that it's a show with all these different languages, it's really cool. It's a cool aspect of the show. Um, <clears throat> and I think it's safe to say, so I'm, this is the spoiler-free portion of the review, and I'm going to warn you when I'm going to get to the spoilers. I think pretty clear from the uh, setup that this is a, a, a mystery box type show. So this is a term applied to J.J. Abrams, especially the TV show Lost, the mystery box method of television where there's all these mysterious things happening and no one knows why it's happening. And this could be a really cool genre, a really cool um, you know, basis for a TV show if there's some real explanation awaiting you at the end. But as we saw with Lost and many other shows, and listen, I like Lost, covered it a lot in this show, uh, you know, at the time. It was one of those shows, you know, week by week. You never knew if there was a new episode going to be coming on. It was broadcast on regular television, I think on ABC. <coughs> it was before the whole streaming thing really took off, I think. And, uh, you know, it was exciting when there was a new episode and all the mysteries and stuff. But in the end, if there's all these mysterious things that, that, that are never explained, then it becomes a lazy form of uh, creating a TV show, right? Create all these mysterious things, even though there's no explanation for anything in the end. It just engages the viewer. The viewer really wants to get clues and figure out what's going on. But if there's nothing going on, right, it's really kind of cheating the audience in some ways, I would say, right? You're, you're getting engagement, but without anything behind the curtain, right? So there's been a lot of shows like this, and it's frustrating because it does feel like a ripoff in a way, and it's a genre that's been around for so long, and it can be, get tiresome at times, the mystery box of genre of television. So I would say, before we get to the spoilers, um, about halfway through, I think there's eight episodes, about halfway through, I was like, starting to get a little worried about this show because it felt like it was going down the same road as the other mystery box shows and it's very cliche ridden even if you just from the very beginning of the first episode the title sequence right uh these computer graphics of these like statues of people my god it felt like almost like an ai generated it felt like it was an ai generated title sequence of like every every streaming show ever Right, it was so cliche ridden, and this show is very cliche ridden. But um, the title sequence with that song, that stylized new version of uh, White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane, and they use that same song in the trailer for the Matrix Four, whatever that very poor Matrix movie was that came out earlier this year or last year. One pill makes you larger, but 
completely ruining the value of the original. It's a great song. But of course, as I mentioned last time, why is everyone like continually harping on Alice in Wonderland? It's one book. Everyone seems to be obsessed with Alice in Wonderland. Anyway, because we're going down the rabbit hole with 1899. So I was really worried about this show because I'm like, is this show just a rehash of this tired mystery box format where they're presenting all these mysterious things that you wonder are they ever going to have a good explanation for? Or... Is it a commentary on the mystery box genre? In which case, it, it could be very clever and very cool if it was playing around with the genre and commenting upon the genre, right? As opposed to just being a kind of cliched version of the genre. Anyway, um, I think we've gone about as far as we can go without spoilers. So I would say I enjoyed watching the show. Ultimately, I would have to give it a kind of a, a thumbs down, unfortunately, um, which I feel terrible doing because if I had seen this show without having seen a million other shows like it, it would be kind of groovy. But it's just, it's very derivative and it feels like it's just made up of pieces of other shows and kind of, and it's sad because of how great Dark was and how, it's not a terrible show. It's just, it was a disappointment to me. All right. Now... I'm going to start talking about the secrets of the show. And I do think it's, it's, it's probably worth watching, though, as I said, I was disappointed in it. But I wouldn't – I'm happy I watched it. So I don't know. Skip ahead like 10 minutes, you know, And uh, if you want to watch this show without spoilers. It's, it's much better to watch without spoilers. Right. All right. Are you ready? Anyway. So, all right, we're going to get into spoilers now. And, uh, all right, so hopefully everyone now has seen the show or you have no plans on watching the show. So, at the end of episode two, right, they kind of play their hand and they show the characters being seen on video screens in some room somewhere. So you know something's going on. It's some sort of weird virtual reality or something because obviously there's no TV sets back in 1899. Uh, the show keeps going. It's you know like so they go onto the Prometheus and they it's all it's all abandoned. But there's one this little boy trapped inside a cabinet who has this little black pyramid, right? And uh, you know and the show really focuses on these characters like the Danish religious family and the gay couple from Spain and you know one is pretending to be a priest and um, you know Mora Franklin is the main character who and having these like f- jump cut flashbacks which again being uh, being in an insane asylum it feels so dated and so cliche to this genre the show is so cliche ridden that again i i figured the only way they could really get out of it was to wind up being a commentary upon the genre but i would say that the show is not thus far cuz i guess there's going to be a season 2 a commentary on the genre. It is just another hackneyed example of this tired genre, this mystery box genre of television, where everything is more cliche than the next. And uh, this is where what I was talking about with Black Adam comes into play. This show clearly, and one of the reviewers I watched, I didn't watch any reviews until after I saw it, said that this show thinks it's more clever than it really is, and it is. It does 
it has it's set out for itself to be really clever and really tricky and really innovative, but it's anything but. We've all been here a million times before. Shades of the Matrix and things like that. So anyway, as time goes on, people start seeing their dead relatives that are alive again, and then there's these hatches inside the ship which lead to these like outdoor spaces, and no one knows what's going on. How is this possible? Everyone's all confused. And uh, finally, it slowly gets dawned on everyone. It's a computer simulation. They're all in a computer simulation. And it's obviously not 1899 because one of the characters, Daniel, has like a modern-day little flashlight. And he has the, 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 these weird little keyboard things that are like the like sliding puzzle things. All sorts of things going on. Um, uh, and then finally... Uh, Maura Franklin is able to uh, get out of the uh, the loop that they're stuck in. So uh, yeah, there's another thing where, like, uh, there's the, like every eight days there's a new voyage, and so there's this, this there's this part of the ocean with with all these these copies of the ships all just sitting there, and then she wakes up and she's in a virtual reality rig, and or you know just sort of her head is in this thing, and she's on a spaceship called the Prometheus, and it's not 1899, it's 2099. But is the spaceship another virtual reality or not? No one knows. And it's just left with so many hanging questions. So much stuff is not explained. Who are these people? Why are they remembering their lives in the 1800s? Is everything fake? And, um, you know, I I have to say I was disappointed. It's very well done. It's very mood. It has very moody lighting, a very bleak setting, and some good characters, but I feel like the characters are all very cliche and kind of overwrought in some ways. And I feel bad giving it a, the whole thing a bad review, but um, it just it's trying to be something that it's not. It's, it is a rehash of mis- the mystery box genre. And listen, if season two redeems it, the show, in some way, uh, and I, I know you shouldn't say that, Oh, if season two shows that it's a commentary on the genre as opposed to just being a poor example of the genre, then the whole thing is saved. But it's kind of like annoying to have to talk. Oh, no spoilers, because something with all these surprises and these twists and turns. Um, rather than having, you know, a good solid story and good solid characters is is just kind of annoying. But um, you know, and if, obviously there's shades of that. The American version of Life on Mars, which I saw, which I did not see the uh, British version, but a cop from the present at that point, like 2008, whatever the year was when that show came out, instantly finds himself back in the 1970s and uh, trying to adapt to life in the 70s. And here's another spoiler alert if you haven't seen that show. God only knows where you could see that show or if you would even want to see that show, but it was not a bad show. Um, Then he wakes up on a spaceship. It was all virtual reality. <laughs> just and what was the whole thing with that? Remember that show, Saint Elsewhere, the hospital show. In the end, it was all in this one kid's imagination. It wasn't real. Like what a cop out, really. You know, just in terms of storytelling, it's just. And again, I I hope there may be more to it. I don't even know if there's going to be a season two of eighteen ninety nine. Um. Again, th- it, there's good aspects to this show, but. Um, anyway, it also reminded me a bit of the, uh, and again, it's so annoying. I can't talk about this because it's a spoiler alert, but, um, 
this, I would have to say, unfortunately, rather obscure audio drama series called Edict Zero, F-I-S. Um, they're currently working on uh, f- to finish up the series next year. There's some similarities there, too. Um, I really thought of that. And I'm sure there's other shows where people are in a virtual reality and then they wind up being on a spaceship. You know. uh, yeah, so unfortunately, like I said, it's... Uh, was a dis- was a disappointment. What was interesting is once the series was over, they started playing this uh, making of featurette, which is always good. You know, like the you know they used to always have making of featurettes that you would have like on the DVD releases, and that that stopped being a thing for a while. But um, I stopped watching it halfway through. It was kind of tiresome, but it was an interesting, uh, especially because I was disappointed in the show, and everyone's talking about, well, of course, working on this show, and I was just disappointed by it. But I guess because of COVID, they decided to use this um, system called the volume, which is essentially a, just a, like a half circle wall of LEDs. That So essentially like a giant TV screen that curves. And you can actually film against it. And I guess you're actually filming what's on the screen and it just works. And um, so the whole, the whole show was shot like when you're out on the deck of the ship the ocean and the clouds and stuff is all on this video screen. And when they do those outside sections, it's all on this video screen. Kind of an interesting technology that I wasn't completely aware of. But it was kind of sad that it was in service of a, a kind of a flawed show. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. It just, yeah, d- like very derivative, lazy writing. I'm trying to think what other show is kind of remind- is reminding me of. Just with all these different characters. And then you're, not only are you seeing them, like, see the ghosts of their dead relatives, but you actually have flashbacks. Which I know Lost did that, too. They had all the characters with their flashbacks, the things that happened in their lives. And I don't know, this show is actually pretty, you know, it's not obviously exactly the same as Lost, but it's, it has a lot of stuff like that. But I just, I think in general, in 1899, the characters aren't quite as uh, interesting like, a lot of the characters feel kind of just completely pointless, like the French couple. Like, they're not interesting characters. Their story is not interesting. <laughs> you know? Uh, I mean, it's that's one of the things. Like, none of the characters are particularly interesting. Like, the religious family, a little more interesting than the French couple. Uh, the gay couple from Spain. Again, they're just really... They're not super interesting characters. You know what I mean? Like they have these backstories that just not they're not that interesting. Uh I mean, I think one one good part of it is that it's um, you know, there, it, a lot of it is very dreamlike. I wouldn't be surprised if the show was based on some dreams the writers had cuz it, it it feels very dreamlike cuz at times like there's this weird like at one point there's this weird like siren in the distance and no one knows what the hell it is. Like how could there be a siren on this boat? And then there's this ticking sound, and everyone sort of like, like ninety percent of the of, of all the passengers like like become like zombies, and they start jumping off the edge of the ship. Right, that feels kind of like a dream someone had or something. <laughs> but they're not. But like in the show, right? There's so many mystery box elements, and by the end of season one, most of them are not answered. It's they're all, like it's all just sort of left hanging, you know. Anyway, so it's, <laughs> but it's like, it's, it's just like, it's not really a TV show. It's like an eight hour movie <laughs> that kind of sucks. Uh, 
I wound up watching an eight-hour movie that sucks. All right, we're back. Uh, Spoiler-free zone from now on. Ah, I know, I know it's kind of... It was hard to talk about that stuff with spoilers and everything, whatever. And the show just came out on Friday, so it's like a brand new... uh, Brand new show. I like watching stuff as soon as it comes out because it's brand new. The love of the new. Yeah. Yeah. On a completely different topic, I did want to look up this product that I uh, mentioned last on last episode. Janitor in a Drum was kind of an iconic 70s product. It was like sort of a, a, a green industrial, like, like, like a big oil drum kind of thing. Janitor in a Drum. And... Uh, yeah, this is the one I would want. It has kind of a it's a green bottle. That's a cylinder. Tech size is the brand. Janitor and drum in a uh, in a stencil font. Industrial strength cleaner. So it's like the first industrial strength cleaner for the home. And uh, that's I remember I saw the the, uh, the toxic waste um, candy cut kind of remind the the drum kind of reminded me of that. Well, it was like a toxic waste drum, and this is sort of like a cleanser drum. But anyway, I think I saw a wacky package that was... What was the janitor in a drum wacky package? Let's see. But anyway, that'd be kind of a cool object to have. Janitor in a slum. That was the uh, the wacky package. Yeah. 1967, what? I guess that was one of the earliest ones. Janitor in a slum. Instead of janitor in a drum. And I think the product still exists, but they got rid of the, the groovy drum packaging, and now it's just, uh, or does it still exist? Yeah, it still exists, but it has a very generic packaging. It's not, well, you can still buy it. Wow. Look, yeah. Yeah, yeah the packaging is not fun, though, anymore. And look, they have a lemon-scented one that's yellow. <laughs> they call it a movie prop. And there's an ad, there's some ads uh, from 1970, 1969, Janitor and a Drum. I mean, if I had, like, some sort of a display wall of random objects, that would be cool. I, I kind of want to do that. I want to, like, have a whole wall, kind of like a big shadow box with all these different, like, random objects. And th- then I'll get Janitor and a Drum. Is this, like, a random object? Otherwise, I don't know. What do you do with it? It's a cool thing to think about. But what if you actually physically have it, it just takes up space. And it's annoying. You see what I'm saying? Anyway, let's get into this. How to play Flea Devil Solitaire. Um, this journey began back in 2007. Uh, and the initial game that I developed called Shuffling Jamboree. And uh, I've always been fascinated with uh, decks of cards. And I found um, this site online called Illusionist.com, a magic supplies company. You know, they sold magic tricks and stuff. And they made their own decks of cards that were ultra premium high quality. So better than other cards in terms of when you handle them. Because there's a type of magician known as card workers where they do those, they do a lot of things, card tricks with decks of cards. And then they, they can fan it out or they do all these manual dexterity tricks with cards too. And these cards were meant to be smoother so that you could um, slide the cards and move, move them and play with them easier. So I got some of those decks. Like, wasn't there, like, sort of the Black Vipers and things? And um, I I found that I really enjoyed shuffling them in what I discovered is the Pharaoh Shuffle. Uh, 
no, there's a perfect power shuffle. I'm talking about imperfect power shuffle. So you just hold the cards in your hand, and uh, you separate the deck into two, generally two halves, and then you put one on top of another and push down and kind of angle it, and you can sort of interweave the cards, right? Now, a card work, some card workers learn how to do that perfectly so you can completely control it's one card, you know, from each side. But the since if you just do it haphazardly, it's like a real shuffle. It's like flipping the cards like a normal shuffle. So I really enjoyed handling the cards and shuffling them and just as an object. And I, I started looking through the deck once I shuffled it. And I noticed no matter how hard you shuffle it, there's, a, there's always like pairs of cards in there. There might be two sixes or two aces or two sevens or right – no matter what, it just randomly there's these pairs of cards, right? And uh, so I developed the first game, and then again, this is 15 years ago in 2007, Shuffling Jamboree, and here are the rules to that game. Then this this was give you a foundation for where we've arrived at now, where I've arrived, I guess you know, uh, with Flea Devil Solitaire as it's now sort of being released. I find I think it's finally re- ready. For to be unveiled after 15 years of, of cooking in the overnight scape oven. And by the way, I w- talked about this game dozens, dozens of times, dozens and dozens of times on the show. Every step, every stage, every addition, every, every adjustment has been painstakingly recorded here. It's a very unique thing. And I want to say that I, I, you know, I've always been fascinated with designing games, but I got to the point where I wanted to stop wasting my time and energy trying to invent games. I'm like, listen, I do the overnight skip. This is my show. This is my creative outlet. This is my hobby, whatever. I, I, I can't waste my en- – no, I don't say waste my I, – I, I can't expend my life energy in other creative pursuits. I have an art. I have a, a hobby. I need to focus on that. But this game, Flea Devil, will not let go of me. It is so, I think – such a great game, it just felt like it wanted to come out. Somewhere deep in my mind, I must have realized the potential for this, even back in 2007. So anyway, here's the rules to the original game. Don't, it's not a good game. Don't play it. But the idea was you would shuffle the deck, and then you would look through, and any pairs that were there, you would just remove, put back in the box, and then you'd shuffle what was left. And then see, are, did you get any more pairs? Put those back in the box and keep going. The idea was you were trying to clear the entire deck uh, by getting these pairs. Every time you shuffled, hopefully you'd get more pairs, right? That was the game. And uh, that started the journey. Uh, and I'm not going to look up all the different benchmarks and the levels and stuff. I'm just going to give you the how to play the game. But I would just have to say the past couple months, I've had an absolute flurry of activity. In fact, I saw it was just back in September that I added walkie-talkie to the game. And uh, just fairly recently added royalties to the game, which really just completely changed the game. It's so much better now. Um, anyway, uh, if you see today's show art, this is the public unveiling of the uh, <coughs> the logo, right? Flea Devil Solitaire logo that I threw together. I did, did this a week or two ago. I threw this together, and I just uh, fixed it up a little bit. Um, the uh, the font is uh, essentially it's Damon, which is a which is sort of a variant of uh, Xenodipity by Ed Bengott. 
and this was created by that guy Lucini type. Um, it's a really cool font, and I thought it'd be perfect for Flea Devil. And uh, so it, it's you know the where, where did it go? Here it is. So Flea Devil stacked on top of each other in that font, and then in smaller type, uh, the same font, Solitaire underneath. And surrounding it is 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 a uh, a border. Was it is that a trapezoid or yeah, that's a trapezoidal border of uh, you know circles, slightly ovals. It, it feels like a like a marquee. It just I love this logo, and a few secrets of this logo. The word solitaire is fifty seven point eight nine percent the uh, the size of the of flea devil, and that is uh, eleven divided by nineteen, eleven nineteenths, and eleven times nineteen is two oh nine. So a little bit of two oh nine in there, and uh, just. Uh, just uh, when I was fixing up the logo, I'm like, you know, how many how many circles are around there in that kind of marquee thing? And there's 60-something, and I'm like, you know, maybe I should make it a specific number because um, what we've arrived at is playing with a 55-card deck, so I made there to be 55 circles. So, see, it's all sort of, it's all connected. And uh, the particular show art I did is the white type with a purple background. That took me a while to arrive at, but it just felt right. And the font play and the overnightscape is uh, is in uh, that Opti Ogden font that I also use on the cover of uh, the Onsug book. So I love this logo, Flea Devil. So it's a good game and it has a good logo. But uh, let us uh, get into the rules. And this is so this audio will allow you to play, and hopefully I'll have uh, the printed up rules available soon as well. All right. So, to play Flea Devil Solitaire, you're going to need a deck of playing cards, and you can use standard playing cards, right? So, just to be clear, um, this is what's known as playing cards. There's usually the, the basic part of the deck is 52 cards, right? Um, there's an ace. There's four suits with 13 cards each. That's 52 cards. There's no ones. Those are aces. And then there's a 10, and then Jack, Queen, King, and then Ace is low or high. It's kind of tricky. 52 cards. And then um, most almost all playing cards come with two Jokers. And in Flea Devil, the Jokers are called Zonkers, right? Zonkers uh, are the Jokers, but they are not wild. They just get in the way. So I just bought these. I just opened these uh, High Victoria playing cards from Theory 11. I got these at Barnes & Noble. So... As I mentioned, you're thinking like 52 cards plus two jokers, that's 54 cards. But I'm saying Flea Devil uses 55 cards because we're going to use uh, three zonkers. Now the zonkers, which generally are jokers, uh, are um, <clears throat> right. you could have a variable amount in the deck. But I have found that three zonkers is the perfect at least for my level of play, is the perfect uh, amount. Oh, wow, these cards are really nice. Wow, they're really nice cards. Um, so the thing is, when you buy most playing cards today, you will find that you will get the 52 cards plus two jokers plus two junk cards. So in this case, oh, these are perfect. They're two cards that are just sort of ads for Theory 11, but they have the card back on them. So the junk cards uh, can, can fill in for zonkers. Or, like I did, you could buy... Uh, two decks of the cards and transfer one of the jokers over for your 55 card deck. 
Either way you want to do it, this one is perfect because it has the card back. Even if the card back is not, even if it's just like an add on either side, you still can use it. So you can print basically any, every deck of cards you buy, you should have 54 cards in it. So I'm going to use the, I'm going to use this one. And, uh, so I have the two jokers and then the, the junk card. And, uh, wow, these are very nice. So I'm going to start shuffling, but this is what, this is what you need. Now, of course you handle the cards a lot with flea devil. Ooh, that's nice. The Pharaoh shuffle worked great immediately. Um, and that's part of the joy of Flea Devil. It's just handling the cards. It's almost like, you know, all those fidget toys from a few years back. Having this deck of cards and being able to play with it this way is is really a great way to engage your mind and your time. And I would like to say that this does take... Playing Flea Devil does take a degree of manual dexterity, and it's something that you will develop over time. Um, you can shuffle the cards however you like, but I just find the sh like the idea of Flea Devil is you hold the deck in your hands at all times. You do not need a flat surface to play Flea Devil, right? The other uh, the other uh, piece of equipment or that you'll need is some way of keeping score. You can do it on your phone. You can do it on a notepad. However you want to do it, you have to keep score. And then there's also a scoring chart, which I will describe to you, that you'll need to refer to. You could score manually, but as you'll see, it's kind of a drag. Uh, it's a little complicated, but it's how things develop with the royalty scoring method. So I'm uh, I'm shuffling the deck up here. So again, I'm using, I think learning the game, you could use less zonkers, but I'm thinking three zonkers is the sweet spot. Four, I've, I've played with four a bunch, and uh, it's just a little too hard for me. It's, it's annoying. You'll lose too many games. So, uh, similar to the original game, Flea Devil Solitaire... Uh, you're trying to clear clear the deck. So, where does the name Flea Devil come from? See, I, I really enjoy shuffling these these cards. These are nice cards. Um, so, the idea is that um, this takes place at a flea market, right? And I think when I first came up with the name Flea Devil, I liked the idea that something that's like flea flea bitten or a flea bag, or you know, it has this kind of humble kind of rootsy kind of feel to it being a flea type thing flea market started because uh people were selling junk that was just flea ridden because it was just old crap like old rugs and stuff that it was it had fleas in them um and sometimes you can call a flea market a flea you know obviously a flea is a little insect but anyway a flea devil and you know i do like the word is and i know that word is kind of problematic to some people. I don't know, are Christians going to be able to play this game? But then again, like Christian Puritans used to call a deck of cards the devil's picture book and said it was evil. <laughs> so anyway, I just like playing around with words and titles, you know, things like that. But the uh, the theme of Flea Devil Solitaire is you're at a flea market, right? And you're buying and selling things, right? And you're really good at this. And, and each each game you play is like one day at the flea market. And then there's a sequence of games and you keep playing, and if you win the game, you score it. If you lose it, that's one strike, three strikes, you're out. And you're going for a high score. So similar to, so the idea is that uh, someone that's really good at, a, at going to the flea market, buying low and selling high, is a flea devil. Kind of like a dust devil or Tasmanian devil, right? Oh, yeah, she's a real flea devil. You know, that's not a real term. I made it up. But it sounds like something that could have existed. So... So my let me keep shuffling my cards a little bit because this was a fresh pack. But basically, um, once you're done shuffling, the uh, 
then you turn the cards face up and now you're in browse mode you can look so you're holding the cards in two hands and you're like using your thumb in my case my I don't know I guess you could do it the other way but I guess cuz it's weird I'm right-handed so my left thumb is sort of pushing so anyway you know you're holding the deck in your hands and you're sort of browsing through the cards right looking through the cards and this now if you were to buy like the crappiest of crappiest cards it would be torture to try to uh, browse through the deck like this right because the cards stick together but these newer cards and these these decks from theory 11 are like 10 bucks each but really just beautiful just just a joy to handle and again i think it's a kind of a manual dexterity thing that not everyone's going to have to start with but right so anyway browsing this is the market the face-up cards are the market, right? This is the flea market. And the basic thing you do is browsing. So you can look through the cards without changing the order. You can look through the cards at your to your heart's content. You can see everything, right? Get a complete overview of what's going on. So now there's three zones in the game. And we're going to start to... There's the bankroll and the easy go. We'll get to that. Um, like I'm playing here and I'm just trying to see... so. Any two cards that are the same rank, that is two nines, two jacks, two aces, they're the two cards that match, right? Um, you can haul them, right? So the word is haul. It's like, oh, that's a great haul, you know, buying stuff. So um, to haul them, two cards that are adjacent right next to each other anywhere in the market. Here, in this case, I have two nines. I can haul. So what I do is I take them out and I place them face down on top of the deck, right? This, these face down cards are now my bankroll. Okay, each one of them is, is worth a dollar in the game. And, right, let me see if there's any more natural uh, pairs here. <laughs> well, just, well, this is like, just, just, for, just for instance, let's say we have, uh, really? <laughs> let's say we have two sevens here, yeah. So any any ones that are any time two cards are of the same rank next to each other, you can haul them, take them out, put them on the top, and this is now your bankroll, right? So we have the right. So now I have the market, which are the face-up cards, and then on the top of the deck I have my bankroll. And the more money, the better, right? Because you can bargain, you can spend one dollar, and you could swap the position of two cards in any two cards in the deck. So, for example, here I have, there's two threes, but they're one apart. It's three, uh, seven, three. And, and they're not touching, but I'd like to get those three together. So, I can bargain. I can spend one dollar, and I can swap the position of this, the seven and one of the threes. So, what I do is I spend one dollar. What I do is I take a card from my bankroll on top of the deck, Keeping it face down, I put it at the bottom of the deck, and I have now started my easy go. So now I can swap these two, and now look, I have just spent $1, and I made $2, because the threes are together, I can haul them now. So this is, the bottom of the deck is called the easy go. Um, you know what they say, easy come, easy go. This is the spent money portion of the deck. Once something's in the easy go, that's it. It doesn't come out of the easy go. Um, so... I have a few more bucks here. Let's see what I can do. Oh, here we have a a, a 10 and a 7 and a 10. So again, I'm going to spend $1, move it from the bankroll to the easy go, 
swap one of the tens with the sevens, and now the two tens are together. Now remember, you don't ever have to do anything. You could do a you can do a bargain swapping the cards and leave it if you want. If there's any st strategy to that, usually, as you'll see, there there this does get pretty deep. But basically, two tens next to each other, I can haul that and bring it to the top. So the so the idea is um, right. You want to clear the entire market. Now, there are three zonkers in here. The zonkers are represented by jokers and the junk card. They are not wild and they don't have any suit. They just get in the way, right? They make all the cards naturally further apart. So they really do both control the difficulty and also identify the market, right? Because the idea of this game is you could pause at any time, put it back in the pack, and then pick it up later. You, and you'll never be confused as to what's the market, what's the easy go, whatever, because the zonkers are in the market, right? There'll always be at least one zonker in the market, as long as you are playing with zonkers, right? So I think you can see right now that this is pretty cool, right? So you can, you're trying to haul cards, and then you can spend money to... And, and so, so here, for example, here's a, two sixes, but there's a, a, a six, queen, jack, six. Like, wow, these are two apart now. So, and what I usually do when I, I when I'm doing something like this, I will like move the six, like in this case, the sixes up, so that I can that they sort of stand out from the deck. Well, you know, I I'll have to spend two dollars to get those together. So I'll spend two dollars and swap once, swap twice. Now the sixes are together, and I can haul them, right? So you could, the the more money you have, the better, because you can bring together these cards that are further apart. And again, the zonkers, even though jokers are traditionally um, wild cards. They these do not do anything. You can, they can be involved in a in a bargain. You can swap them, but other than that, they don't do anything. Okay. Now, when it comes to zonkers, and again, this is how it controls the difficult. This can really controls the difficulty of the game. But one universal rule with the zonkers is that whenever two zonkers are touching, or they're next to each other, right? L let me make this happen here. Um, you can zonk out. And zonking out means, and this usually happens naturally, or you, you can pay to move the jokers together, the zonkers together, sorry. Um, you, have, you have these zonkers. If the, if the zonkers are ever next to each other, you can zonk out and move one of them, only one of them, into the easy go, right? So the idea of this is that the difficulty of the zonkers create in the early to mid game really does adjust the difficulty. But towards end game, when you have these multiple zonkers together, it makes the end game much more difficult and becomes very frustrating. So I developed zonk out. Zonk out is a free move. If two zonkers are next to each other, you can move one of the two to the easy go, right? So I have not actually taught anyone else how to play this game. I, when I was out in New Mexico, I showed PQ the version that existed back in April, which was this version now is much better, by the way. Um, and this is not an easy game to learn, necessarily. But once you know it, any deck of cards will be like your best friend. It is. I play this game constantly. I have never gotten tired of it. I've played it on the bus. i played it on airplanes, right? This game is fantastic, and it's almost like a natural digital detox. You don't have to use your phone. It's an actual deck of cards. In fact... An app of this game would be completely different 
because handling this deck of cards is what Flea Devil is all about. So even though it's a little hard to learn, I think it's well worth it. I've been loving this game, especially the current version, right? Um, so anyway, the number of Zonkers you play with, like I'm saying, three Zonkers to me is the standard. You can play with less to try to learn the game. We'll have to figure that out as we go. But three Zonkers, okay? That's <coughs> that's how I play. But I've been getting better and better at the game as time goes on. So, um, I want to mention that there, it is possible. So basically, we're playing a sequence of games. If you win, you score it. And if you lose, you get one strike. Three strikes, you're out. Add up all your scores, and that's your final score. Right? It is possible to... Um, shuffle the deck in a way that there are no opening moves, zero opening moves. And we have to get to flea hops and things like that. If if you cannot do anything, even with your flea hops, it's called jamboree as a callback to the original game, Shuffling Jamboree. If you get jamboree, that means you shuffled the cards and you cannot, there's no opening move. You can't haul anything. You can't flea hop into a hall, it, right? You're not able to even start the game. That's called jamboree. And that does not count as that doesn't score any points, it does not count as a loss, and it it adds another strike. So, right, if 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 it's, it will then be like a four strike game. So Jamboree, right, will actually help you get higher scores. So it's actually a very happy event, Jamboree. Um so once you're playing the game, we talked about um the hall, where there's two cards next to each other that are the same rank, and you can take them out, put them face down as your bankroll. We talked about bargaining, the very basic rule where you uh, <coughs> um, pay $1 and you can swap the position of any two adjacent cards. Now let's talk about the flea hop. The flea hop, I think, was in the development of this game, the single most important addition to the game and made this something so much better and so much deeper. I think the flea hop is a little hard to explain uh, it is the it, it, but once you get it, you'll get it. Um, this is a, a, a method where you can swap the position of two cards, similar to bargain, without paying. It's a free, it's a free move, right? So it's very, very valuable. The way it works is, if you, you need to have two, sorry, um, you look when as you're browsing any two cards that are next to each other that are of the same suit. In this case here, I have an eight and a five of clubs that are next to each other, right? Anytime there's two cards of the same suit next to each other, you may be able to do a flea hop, right? So the idea is <clears throat> you have these two cards and you could, so there's the left card and the right card that are both the same suit. So you're going to choose, if you choose to move the left one, it will swap with the card to its left. The right card will similarly swap with the card to its right. That's a flea hop. You're essentially, they will know those two cards that were are of the same suit will no longer be touching once the flea hop is done. The one caveat is once you complete your flea hop, the card that moved can no longer be touching the same suit. So in this case, right, the right hand card, the five of clubs, to the right of it is a king of spades, which is uh, definitely a different suit. But to the right of that is a four of clubs. 
So were I to hop, switch the five and the king, now the five is touching a club. So that flea hop is not allowed. However, to the left, we have um, the left of the ape, we have a zonker and then an, an ace of diamonds. So I can do the flea hop this way. I'm swapping the, the zonker with the eight of clubs and now it's no longer touching the five. It's touching the ace of clubs and the zonker. So that is a permissible flea hop, right? It is possible to have a double hop, but it is not possible to have a triple hop, right? And this is one of the most important things. The flea hop is the very powerful move that is at the heart of flea devil solitaire. So flea hop is amazingly important, right? So again, here's an eight of hearts, an ace of hearts, and uh, in this case, either direction is is permissible. I'll move the eight, swap the eight to the left, and it's no longer touching a heart. And in this case, I can do a double hop because no, yeah, no. Well, let's just pretend that there was a uh, two diamonds to the left of it. Yeah. And uh, I could, if, if there's two diamonds, essentially, right, the double hop is I'm now doing a flea hop with this other set of cards, but the eight has moved two, two spaces to the left. As I said, it's a, it's a little bit confusing, but just remember, no matter what's going on in your market, just focus in on any two cards next to each other. Even if there's a bunch, like here's a bunch of spades all, all together, doesn't matter. Focus in on two cards and imagine if you were to move the left card, if you were to swap the left card with the card to its left, would the card that moved of the pair still be touching a spade? In terms of this one, yes, it would still be touching a spade, but the right-hand one would not, so you can do the flea hop. Again, this is free of charge. You don't have to spend a dollar. It's like a bargain, but you don't have to pay for it. That is the flea hop, and I, and it's, it is just a little complicated to to explain, but it is such a wonderful move, and it's such really completely blew open the possibilities of this game, right? So, anyway, we'll talk about walkie-talkie, right? This again, I just came up with this in September. So, walkie-talkie is uh, let me see if I can put put together a walkie-talkie here. <laughs> Uh, it's a run of three. So it's three cards in a row. So in this case, I have a queen, jack, ten. It can go either direction, right? It could be ten, jack, queen, or queen, jack, ten. It doesn't matter. Three cards in a row. And again, you may have four cards in a row or five, but you're going to focus in on three of them, right? And for the purposes of this, we are allowing king, ace, two, or two, ace, king. I know most other games wouldn't allow that. You can't have a a straight in poker or any other game where you're you're flipping around the ace you know it either has to be low or high in this game you can have two ace king and that will work so in in walkie talkie right here i have queen jack 10 and again the order doesn't matter but they're in sequence they're next to each other you can uh the middle of the three cards right can contact one of its mates, so in this case, another jack, and it could be, if if there if you haven't hauled any jacks yet, there's there's four to to think about. You can haul, you can teleport in one of the matches. So in this case, there's a jack really far away. What it is is a flat rate, a flat fee of three dollars. 
right? You spend $3, and now the jack, which is in the middle of 10 jack queen, can teleport in its match. So another jack from anywhere in the deck, of course, in the market, not the anything that's in the bankroll or the easy go are no longer cards you can use in that way. Two jacks, and they came together, and I can haul them, right? So walkie-talkie, again, a run of three, and here, here, I have four, five, six. So the five, right, if I have $3 to spend, I can find another five, spend $3, and now the five that's not in, the, in this run of three is teleported right next to the other five. And then, you know, usually you would want to haul them, but you don't have to. You, you can wait if you want, but usually it would be a good idea to haul them. Uh, walkie-talkie is very good if, if you, you'll find a lot of times you'll, ha you'll have every card's really far away, everything's gummed up. Walkie-talkie really helps to clear things out, even though it's kind of expensive. And, you know, I, I've been working with, I've been playtesting uh, walkie-talkie for a long time now, and I think $3 is a good, is a good cost for it. Um, so finally, we have royalties. And this was the most recent addition to the game that um, was the final piece of the puzzle that made the game what it is now. And it was fairly recently. I mean, maybe even just a few weeks ago that I came up with royalties. Right? So previously, when you finished the game by clearing the market, again, so that only zonkers are left in the market, then you win the game. How do you score? Previously, I was just scoring on how much bankroll you had left. But that felt, it always felt very kind of empty, right? So I came up with royalties. What this means is that, right, the royalties are jacks, kings, queens, and aces, okay? These are the royalties, royalty cards. So for example, um, when you haul any of those cards, again, jacks, queens, kings, or aces, normally, right, so there's two, here I have two queens next to each other. These are, royal, these are potential royalties. You could take both queens out and put them on the top of your deck and make, add them to your bankroll. But because they're royalty cards, you could choose to put one or both of them face up in the easy go and make them into royalties, right? So now, these two queens, that could represent $2 in my bankroll, right, to move cards. Instead of that, I'm putting them face up in my easy go, and now they will count towards scoring. But they won't be able to help me move cards around. So this is your dilemma, your choice. When you haul royalty cards, will you bankroll them, or will you add them, make them into royalties? And, and I know the terminology there is a little messed up, but... They're royalties when they're put face up into the easy go. Now, of course, it could be confusing. Face up cards in the market, face up cards. If there's, if there's no cards in the easy go, well, how would you know that card is a royalty and not just an in-play card? So this is what you do. You need to have at least three cards face down in your easy go before you can place royalties, right? Another three. Three cards in your easy go then you can place as many royalties as you want. Now, you can, you, can, you can do a split royalty where if I haul these two queens, I could put one 
as a royalty face up and easy go and one on top on the bankroll. Right? You can do it's totally up to you. You can do both in the bankroll, both in the easy both as royalties in the easy go or you could split it. And uh, you know, I feel like playing this game that's the tension of the game trying to figure out can I afford to uh to to royalty these cards or should I put them in the bankroll because I'm I'm running because what happens is when you lose the game you run out of money in your bankroll and everything's still too far apart and you lose the game. So when the game ends, your bankroll doesn't count for anything. It doesn't you don't get any score for how much money's left in your bankroll. Only your royalty score, right? Now the way we score is that uh, face cards, that is jacks, aces, and kings, right? They all count as they all count for score. Aces multiply the score, right? So the way it works is this, and again, this is how I developed it. It's a little complicated, but you could do it by hand, but you want to have a scoring chart. And I'll read out the scoring chart to you. You can write it down somewhere for the purposes of this audio. So basically, royalties in your easy go, the first, if there's only one, it's worth one. If there's a second card, it's worth two face cards. The first face card is worth one. The second face card is worth two. Third face card is worth three, and so on, right? And then you multiply that number by the number of aces, right? So if there's if you have no aces or one ace, you multiply by one. Two aces, you multiply by two. Three aces, you multiply by three. And four aces, you multiply by four. So if you are able to get all 12 face cards and all four aces as royalties in your easy go, you will get a perfect score of 312, right? So that's the idea. The score kind of gets more and more as you have more and more um, royalties in your easy go. So doing this, I mean, if you're some kind of human calculator, you could probably do this or memorize this, but normally you would use a scoring chart. So this, this, the chart, I'm going to read it out to you, and you could write it down somewhere. Again, it's just, you know, so and so the first face card is worth one. The second one is worth two. So if you have two face cards, that's worth three. The third face card is worth three. So then your final score is six. Again, we don't want to have to worry about calculating this. So this is a, this is a grid. On the left, we have from zero to 12 face cards, and... That's on the left. Those are the rows. The columns, zero to one ace is one column, then two aces, three aces, and four aces. So it's basically 52 possible scores with, of course, zeros on the top. So I'm going to read out to you. So if you, if you make a grid, again, there's 13 rows from zero to 12 face cards. You, the first one is zero face cards. One face card goes all the way down to 12 face cards. On the left, those are your rows. And on top, we have four columns. The first column is if you have zero or one ace, then they both mean one times. The next column, two aces. The next column, three aces. The next column, four aces. So I'm just going to read across, and you can fill it in. So if you have zero faces, the numbers are zero, 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 zero. If you have one face card, one, two, three, four. Two face cards, three, six, nine, twelve. Three face cards, six, 12, 18, 24. Four face cards, 10, 20, 
30, 40. Five face cards, 15, 30, 45, 60. Six face cards, 21, 42, 63, 84. Seven face cards, 28, 56, 84, 112, or 112. Eight face cards, we have 36, 72, 108, 144. Nine face cards is 45, 90, 135, 180. Ten face cards, 55, 110, 165, 220. Eleven face cards, we have 66, 132, 198, 264. And finally, 12 face cards, 78, 156, 234, and 312. Or 312 is your perfect score for a round. So that's your scoring. And, uh, you know, I obviously, I mean, I, I'm looking at my, my draft of, of the rules here, which will be in, in future editions of the Ansug book. Hopefully I'll, I'll make it a separate thing as well. And please don't hesitate to contact me on Facebook or frankattheovernightskip.com if you need any help or if you need, if I haven't released these rules yet and you'd like to have the rules, um, I can I could send it to you. Um, so anyway, yeah. So what I usually do at the end of the game is I, um, I'll move all of the the royalties from the easy go to the top of the deck, and then I I do my scoring. Right. Now, in terms of scores, when uh, doing this uh, this particular method, right, um, I was really hoping to get to a thousand. Trying to see, yeah, some some recent rounds I did. So one game I had, I only scored 90. I had three losses and only one win. Um, another game, <laughs> I had three losses in a row. Another game, it was, it was tough. I, you know, there, there are these trends. I had three losses and uh, one win for three, only three. But then things were getting better. I had another, another one where I won two games and I scored 51. But then it started getting better. And I don't know if this is because I'm getting better or because lucky shuffles or whatever. Um, I had did a not I, I I had a nine game run with a total score of four hundred and fifty-eight. Getting better, right? Um here I had an eight game run where I scored seven hundred and sixteen. Uh and not another here's another nine game run where I scored three sixty-two. Here's a game where I where I just lost three in a row. I got zero. Oh, that was with four zonkers. Yeah, yeah, four zonkers. I wasn't doing too good. So anyway, here's back to, back to three. <coughs> yeah, back to three. So I had uh, a twelve game run where I I scored four sixty three. Right. Here's a sixteen game run where I scored nine twenty five, almost to that thousand mark. Um, here's a six game run. I scored 220. Here is, uh, a 20 game run. The high score so far was I scored 1,809 points over 20 games. And yeah, I'm currently on a 20 game run. I have two strikes and I haven't even added the score up yet. I don't know if it's quite as much as 1809, but this is, this is where I'm at right now in my play testing. Um, I think I'm going to use these new cards now. I really like these new cards. Um, so yeah, this is uh, Flea Devil. <coughs> Let me get back to the document here. 
see if I missed anything. So the, yeah, so let's just recap a bit, right? Um, you're going to start with the 52 standard deck of playing cards. Add Zonkers. I recommend adding three. Three is the standard game. You might want to start with less if, as you're learning, right? And uh, you shuffle the cards. You turn them face up. This is your market. And now you can do essentially six different things, as we mentioned. Hall is the basic move. There's two cards that are right next to each other that are the same rank, a 5-5, five, five, a queen-queen. They're, if they're right next to each other, remove both of them. The pair of cards, remove them. And remember, you can either turn them face down, put them on the top of the deck as uh, to add to the bankroll, or if you have at least a buffer of three in your easy go and they're uh, royalty cards, the ace, king, jacks, or queen queens, you can put one or both uh, as royalties in the easy go, or you can choose to put them on the bankroll. Once they're in either place, you can't they, they you can't change them. There's no take backsies, okay? But hauling, and then so, you know, the royalties, that's, that's the second one is hauling, but they're royalties and you put them in the easy go as royalties. Face up in the easy go as long as you have a buffer of three. That is, there's three face down cards in your easy go, then you can start placing royalties. Bargain, of course, is the basic move where you pay $1 to swap the position of any two adjacent cards. You can, any two cards in the market, you can swap their positions, right? The flea hop, right? Two cards of the same suit, two hearts, two diamonds, two spades, two clubs. Um, you can sort of push them apart, right? The left or the right one can jump, can hop. As to, uh, swapping place, the left card will swap with the card to its left. The right card will swap with the card to its right. Once the hop is done, it, the hop can only be done that the card that hopped will no longer be touching a its its own suit, right? It's a little complicated, but I think that you'll get the hang of of flea hop, right? And then there's walkie-talkie, a run of three cards, forwards or backwards, or two ace-king. The middle card, you can pay three, and it will teleport in its match from anywhere in the market. Again, once a card is in the bankroll or the easy go, that's it. It's no longer a playable card, right? You, it, it can't interact with the cards in the market anymore. Um, the goal is to clear the market, right? So there's only zonkers left. There should be one zonker left because you'll have zonked out all the other ones when you finally win. So there should just be a single zonker left, and then right to then you've won the game. And this is actually pretty important because, um, right, if you finish the game and then you want to score afterwards, let, let's say you arrived where, where you're going on your bus, there'll always be that zonker that maintains the position of the market, so you'll know, um, you know you'll know where the distinction is between the easy go and, and the bankroll, right? And again, we're scoring based on that scoring chart, the number of face cards times the number of aces, right? And this really, to me, added so much depth to the game because you have to really think about it, right? What you're going to do with, your, with the, uh, the royal cards. Are you going to royalty them or are you going to bankroll them? And that really... Is you know, and you only score on on the royalties. You don't score on your bankroll at all. So you can get overzealous, and you can uh, royalty too many cards, and then you'll wind up losing. 
Sometimes I've lost because I only needed one more dollar in my, in my bankroll. I would have won. And I have like like six royalties I already, already put in there. But you can't take it back. Um, and sometimes you may do too few. You'll win maybe just a couple of royalties and you'll have a huge bankroll left over, meaning that you could easily have, have made more royalties to um, get a higher score. Now, as you play a sequence of games, right, this is clearly a combination of luck and skill, right? Um, some shuffles are going to simply be unwinnable, right? The cards are too far spaced out. Um, but I do think that mo- most shuffles are winnable, but you have to really work hard. And the idea is, right, in the beginning, it's easy, right? You know, you there's a bunch of hauls. You can haul those. Although, when you think about everything related to flea hops, when f- related to um, walkie-talkie, etc., I think at high levels of play, you're gonna you're not gonna want to haul anything until you see. For example, you may have a pair of twos, right? But there's a you could do a flea hop before you haul it. Maybe there's a card of the same suit to the left, which if you flea hop, which is free, it'll get it closer to its match before you haul. Right, so there's deeper strategies, right? But early game, you're gonna you're going to uh, be hauling the natural pairs, and you're going to be flea hopping in, into hauls, right? And then things get a little less. You know, there's a lot of less obvious matches. So what you're doing is um, you're looking at cards like maybe there's a you know two sixes, but they're three cards away. And if you look at the pattern in between them, you'll see, oh, well, I can do, if I pay $2, I can move the card two to the left, and then I can flea hop the final space to get to the match, right? There's there's all these patterns of between bargains and flea hops that uh, can allow you to bring cards together with the least amount of money by utilizing flea hops. And that's the main thing. And then you'll get to a point in, towards the past the mid game towards the end game where um, you might f- find your market completely like everything is so far away what are you going to do sometimes if there's if you can pay into into a walkie-talkie that might help right but walkie-talkie can be expensive especially especially if you're bargaining into the walkie-talkie because you have to pay to get it in a position and then pay three more to get the match usually what I wind up doing and I do that sometimes, but usually you just really scrutinize the market and there may be two nines, even though like six or seven apart, right? Remember, at the end, when, when you haul them, that's $2. So no matter how much it costs to get them together, you can take that $2 off. So you look at two cards and try to find ones, even if they're far apart, you know, find the, the ones that are as close as can be and then sort of visualize the flea hops you can make to bring them together for the least amount of money. And remember, every haul you make brings all the other cards closer together, right? I have had so many cases where it looks hopeless, it looks completely hopeless, but I'm able to pull it out, I'm able to eke out a win, right? Um, and uh, it just feels great when you when you when when it seems like you can't do it and then you can do it. Um, what else do I wanna talk about here? Uh, the shortcuts. So, I mean, this is not something that, this is something that as you play, I think will just sort of become somewhat obvious to you. But for example, if there's a 
two cards, like here's here's an eight, and then it's two eights, but they're two cards apart. So I'd have to spend two dollars, right? I could spend the two dollars, move the eights together, and then haul them. But this is a shortcut, a shorthand kind of thing. As long as I know I have two dollars in my bankroll, and these two eights are two apart, what I I usually do, and again, this is something, this is optional, and this is just as you get more used to the game. I will just uh, take them out of the deck as they're two apart and put them straight into the easy go, right? That's just a shortcut because I could have done, I could have spent the $2, moved the cards together and then hauled them. But in the end, right, the, 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 uh, there will be two less in, in the, no, it'll be a wash. It'll be even, right? So I could spend the $2 from my bankroll into the easy go and then haul the two eights, right? But the bankroll stays the same. So I, by me doing that, and again, don't worry about shortcuts unless you want to. I think also, for example, if we have two kings together that are one apart, right? I can spend $1 and rather than moving the two kings together, I can just, even though they're one apart, I spent the dollar, just pull them out and haul them that way. Right, but this is stuff that will become somewhat obvious to you as you play the game. Um, it's, uh, it's a little bit of shorthand, you know, and also just the idea of, you know, when, like like taking a card and sort of moving it up. Like if I here's two eights that are two apart, so I'm going to lift them up so that they rise above the rest of the deck. So now I'm figuring out what I'm going to do. I can't really do a flea hop there. I'm going to have to spend two to get those together. So I'll spend the two and then haul it or the short, the shortcut thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of getting a deck, like I'm, these cards are silky smooth. You, you can riffle through them, rifle through them, browse through them. It is smooth as butter. Really depends on what deck you get though. I bought a standard, what do we have? A completely standard deck of bicycle playing cards here off the shelf. Get any drugstore, any, any, any target, Walmart, whatever. And these are pretty good too. They call it air cushion finish. And uh, whereas I would say these are not quite as smooth as a Theory 11. These are probably less than half the cost and perfectly playable. Um, I don't know the average cards like back in the 80s or 70s or 60s would have been this easy to handle for this purpose of Flea Devil. And again, you will eventually ruin the cards playing so much Flea Devil. But it doesn't really matter because you're not, you're, it's solitaire. I have decks where some of the cards are bent, some of the cards have like just frayed on the edges, but it doesn't really matter. You just have to shuffle and then you play the game. It's not like you're giving anything away because as soon as you start playing, you can see every single card. Um, and I do think that uh, there are people out there that have those you know computer brains that would be able to just look at the sequence of cards and know exactly if they could win or not, but most people don't have that. There's a lot of perfect information games. I mean, um, Free Cell, Solitaire is a perfect information game. You see all the cards. Um, chess is a perfect information game, right? Everything's out in the open. There's no, uh, there's nothing hidden, but it's just certainly beyond the scope of my brain to look ahead that far. Um, so it almost becomes like random because we just don't have the capacity to calculate that much. I'm sure someone could write a computer program that could analyze any shuffle and uh, figure out the optimal strategy to get the highest score. 
Also, I just want to note that because of the reality of shuffling, um, there's many articles about this online. If you properly shuffle a deck of cards, and I think that, you know, like the, uh, to uh, essentially to, um, you know, either, you know, putting it on a table and just flipping the cards together, like you'd think of as the normal shuffle like this, you know, that kind of thing. Which, again, I don't do that with Flea Devil because I feel like the Pharaoh Shuffle... And if you look up F-A-R-O, Pharaoh Shuffle, um, you'll see... Because it's right, the word Pharaoh has so many different spellings, like Mia Pharaoh, Pharaoh, like the Egyptian one, Pharaoh, the F-A-R-R-O, the uh, the grain, or Pharaoh, F-A-R-O, which is the gambling game that they say they use to shuffle. But I hear, I'm doing it here, so I'm just holding the deck, pulling it, dividing it into two, and I'm putting one on top of the other, pushing down an angle, and they all interleave together. But it's not a perfect interleaving, right? Some of them are... There's two going in instead of one, right? So, again, if it was completely perfect, then you did it twice, it would go back to this, the original order. And then I also do the overhand, where you're just kind of grabbing some of the cards and throwing them down. right? You sort of separate the deck into two, and then you slide some over. Again, look up overhand shuffle. So I use a combination of overhand and imperfect pharaoh shuffles to get the shuffling going. And they're saying interleaving either uh, seven times usually does the trick. But anyway, a properly shuffled deck of cards. And we're just talking, this is 52 cards, because we have 55 in here. Even if you just had 52 cards and you shuffled the deck, the sequence of cards you have, the chance that anyone ever shuffled the cards that same way Ever in the past, we're talking millions, billions of shuffles. If there was even a trillion shuffles, there still would be almost no chance it's the same order. So it's a brand new game of Flea Devil every time you play that no one else has ever played with that that order of cards. The chance that anyone shuffled their deck and has the same order of cards is almost zero. So that's kind of a cool aspect of it. Every time you shuffle, every time you play Flea Devil, it's a completely new game. And you could say that about any game, I suppose, any card game. But this one specifically, the, the challenges you face are uh, completely brand new. Here, okay, here, let's start playing here. Oh, see, I, ha- I got a zonker on the top. This is known as zonker top. Like, let, let me make a note of that, actually. I want to mention zonker, zonker top. This is my document. Uh, let me see, zonker top. Yeah, let's make a little note of that. Yeah, the term zonker top is when there's a zonker on top, that's great because it means that that, that zonker is not going to get in anyone's way because it's right on top. That is zonker top, baby. So let's see. I'm playing this game here. Uh, <laughs> don't tell me I'm going to get a jamboree here. What the hell? I shuffled these too good. What the heck? All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Is this a just is this really a jamboree? So, if you don't see any matches, then you have to start looking for flea hops because hmm. remember the only a double hop. So cards that are one or two away. See this this no that that's not a flea hop. There, are you telling me I'm going to get a jamboree during this session? That's that's kind of good. Usually when I think I have a jamboree, I actually don't because uh, I can find a flea hop into it. Here. No, I can't flea hop into kings. Uh, 
oh, I can't, there's two threes, but I can't flea hop. It's blocked by, by a diamond on the other side. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, like, excited now. Could this actually be Jamboree? Uh, see, <laughs> that's almost flea hop into, into two aces, but no. Nope, I got a flea hop here. So just to describe the four cards, eight of diamonds, 10 of hearts, eight of spades, four of spades. So the eight of spades and four of spades, I can swap the eight with the 10, right? That's a flea hop, and now I can haul the eights. So that was not a jamboree. See, you gotta double check, and that brought me to two tens together, haul those, and now we're off to the races, because now I have four bucks, and that'll help me bring more stuff together. For example, here, this, these fives swap, so bargain there, and now I can flea hop into into a hole, and we're off to the races. An actual game of flea devil. Let's see, and I and again I know like the way you're like, I I understand maybe people will, oh here's another flea hop into twos. See everything gets closer together when you're doing it. Um, what I'm doing, I I didn't learn how to handle cards like this, but I know it may be a, like a learned skill ultimately. And again here here's with uh, kings, but. I got them together, but mm, what do I want to do? Do I want to bankroll them or royalty them? I only have two in my easy go. I can't royalty them yet, so I'm going to leave them there. You don't have to. When the two cards are together, you don't have to get... You, you can just leave them there for later use. Here. All right. So the two threes that I can't flea hop, I'm going to bargain into those. So now I do have a three in my easy go. I don't feel confident enough in the uh ah what the heck let's just live dangerously i'm gonna i'm gonna royalty these two kings who knows if i'm gonna regret it but it's always better to get the cards out of there and you know you get a i i, I maybe i should have split that royalty but we'll see and these have like kind of smaller numbers than the other deck i'm used to uh, and now things are a bit gummed up now wait a minute uh See, maybe I shouldn't have royaltyed those kings because things are getting... <coughs> here's 6-5. I can almost get 6-5-4. So here, here's a good example. I have 6-5-ace-4, <coughs> and I can't flea hop into it. My question is, would a 5 be, be a good walkie-talkie candidate? So then what I usually do is I go through the deck and I, I sort of lift up all the 5s if, if I haven't hauled them yet. In this case, I did haul 5, so... These fives are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight apart. So that would not be a bad deal. But I got to pay one to get the four and five together. So there's four, five, six. I'll do that and I'll walkie talkie these fives. Again, it's kind of expensive, but you know, you spend three and you gain two. So it's a loss of one, really. Well, it's a loss of two because I had to pay one to get in. I'm trying to see what else. So then these sevens are kind of close together. Let's see. It's a tough game. This is a tough. This is a tough field. So let's see. Uh, seven. Well, I got into a tough game, but I've been in these kind of games before that are kind of. Let's see. So these sevens are pretty far apart, but I think I'm going to go for them. I'm starting off with a flea hop, and I can bargain, and then I'll get another flea hop. And now I 
I gotta just pay one and I'll hold the two. So that's really the key, the combination of bargains and flea hops. Uh, here's some jacks and eh. see, I'm not feeling as confident anymore. So I'm going to flea hop into a, into a hole and I think, you know, let's split this one. So these jacks do a royalty split. One's going as a royalty. One is going in the bankroll. All right. Now, well, these fours, eh. <laughs> these fours are not that close together, but I can now bargain two into a flea hop and I gotta pay one more to haul that. But remember, again, every haul you make is bringing everything closer together. Here's queens. Again, this is a good example of bargain, paying one into flea hop. And what do I do with these queens? Wow, I only have three bucks in my bankroll. I'm gonna bankroll them both. I am really pushing it at this point. How, how many royalties do I have? I have done three royalties, so this is this is gonna be a tough one, but uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe I shouldn't do it anymore for a while. All right, we got sixes here. And again, a classic bargain into flea hop. Sixes. Oh, I have ace two three. Uh, where is that two? I don't know if I should really spend that much, but Everything's so far apart. Ooh, the two's really far away. All right, I'll walkie-talkie those. Let's see what else we got here. This is also gives you a sort of a sense of how long the games last, and they, they last like five, ten minutes. Oh god. Well, here's the aces. Now remember, aces again. This is another bargain into flea hop. Aces really can help multiply your score, but. I'm on a real short stack here as far as my bankroll, so I'm going to bankroll them both. Goodbye, aces. Oh, well, listen. You just don't want to get a strike, right? Because you want to get as high a score as possible. And you can actually score zero, right? You can score zero if you have just aces as royalties or you have no royalties and you clear the, the market. You win. It's not a loss. It's not a strike, but you score zero, as I sort of implied with the scoring chart. Okay, man, those nines are real far apart. Hmm. Trying to see what I got here. And then what you can do, what I find I do sometimes, this is again, sort of a shortcut thing. You can set aside your easy go, sit it on the table. You don't have to do this, but sometimes you can do that. Again, just be careful with royalties when you do this, but it sort of gives you sort of more space to kind of look at the whole field and the easy go doesn't change, so you can just sort of throw it on the table. Again, that's just something I do. It's not an, you know, it's just something you might want to think about. All right, so these two kings are one, two, three, four apart, but I got a flea hop on the right, and I can bargain into a flea hop on the left. And now they're only one apart, and the bankroll. All right, I'm going to bankroll them both because this is getting a little. I'm running out of money here. So as you can see, like you spend money and you make money and you're trying to, to make sure you have enough money to clear the whole thing. So things are getting a little, hmm. 
This is getting a little so things can get very, very spread out. Can I zonk out at all? Uh wait, where's that other zonker? Where's the junk zonker? Yeah, there it is. Yeah, the two zonkers are right towards the end, so it doesn't really make sense to pay to zonk out because there's just one six that's being that's inside the zonker space, so Sometimes it does make sense if if the zonkers are like in a real central position to zonk to zonk one out because you're going to save money in the long run. So now I'm really just looking. Okay, so I got aces, and yes, ooh, no. But I can, I can't flea hop this, but I can bargain into into a flea hop to get the aces together, and I'm just going to bankroll them because I'm running out of money. And let's see. These nines are not bad. Wow. You could flea hop from either direction, but getting them closer, one apart, pay one, gain two. And uh, I'm going to keep putting my easy go into a pile on the table. Again, that's up to you. If I was on a plane or on a, on a bus, I would keep them all in my hand. But sometimes you can just get rid of that excess baggage in your easy go. But again, be careful about royalties because you always need that buffer to identify it's a royalty and not a card in play. All right. This is what happens towards endgame sometimes is, is you get kind of gummed up like this. And this is where you don't know if you have enough money left to really do the, the long hauls here. Wow. Not even any walkie-talkie potential. What do we got? Okay, I got eights. I got eights, but there's not a lot of flea hops in between them, but I may just have to, there's one flea hop I can do. No, I can't even do that one. Oh man. So, well, I just pay four. I mean, that's kind of crazy to pay four, but I may have to. All right. I'm going to pay four to get these, uh, eights. Ooh, that's painful. That, that, that's a, that's a lot. That's a lot. But again, it brings everything closer together. And I have one, two, three, five, I have, I have $6 left. It's a tough, I mean, it's a tough one. This is not an easy one. Let's see. And I got nines and possible flea hop action. Uh, Barking into a hop here. I'm just going to go for it. Well, I mean, once you start going for something like this, you got to like see it through. Even if you spend all your money, then you may be screwed. So I need to spend two uh, two more, and then I can get another hop. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. Hop that, and that's another one. Again, they were very far apart. I had to spend some money, but I got them together. Let's see where we're at now. Um, hmm. Oh, I got some jacks that are. Ugh, God, this is really gummed up. Very muddy. Very muddy field here. Uh, <coughs> well, I don't know. This, this is a bad one. All right, I'm going to have to go for sevens, I guess. Do a flea hop here. Yeah, flea hop here. That helps. Flea hop on both sides. And so this is really kind of like the core of the game is you sort of, they're four apart, but I'm, I'm kind of visualizing what we can do flea hop wise. That so I can I can go for the seven of hearts on the right or the seven of clubs on the left in terms of mo of 
bargaining them over for flea hops, that would be one, two, three. It's three either way. So I'm going to bargain three. And then one more flea hop is possible. And I can haul those. All right. One, two, three, four. I only have four, four bucks left. <laughs> and we're uh, getting down to the wire here. But we're we're getting close. Oh, I'm gonna I'm a, am I gonna make it? And there's yeah there's uh, that one zonker in the middle there that's really gumming up the works. But I see here we have the queens that are only two apart now. So of course when something is there's no flea hops possible. As long as I have two dollars in my bankroll, I know I can just. Uh, it's basically a wash. I I pay two and I, I pay two dollars and I get two dollars, right? So then that's really what helps towards endgame is 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 these uh the, the the ones that are two apart that are, you know, kind of they don't decrease your bankroll. I'm trying to see here, this, this is a tough one still. Uh, I think we're gonna have to go for jacks. I do have a flea hop, and we're not gonna be able to do the other flea hop now. I'm wondering. I have four bucks. We're getting close. Can I afford to? Can I afford to uh, royalty one of these? All right, let's just let's just do it, All right? Oh, this is tough, though. Oh, God. Um. No, you know what? Yeah, I only have four bucks left. Yeah, I think I better bankroll both. I was really thinking about it, but I don't think it's a good idea. I could, you know, that's the thing. I, I'm sure, I'm sure I could figure out if it, if it would be better. But yeah, the, the things are still too far apart. Tens, sixes, fours. Oh God. The sixes. Well, yeah. I have one flea hop, and that's about it. No, 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 no. I have no, no, I can't. Because, you know, there needs to be a free space, but there's a spade on the other side too. So here there are three apart. I just got to spend three, which is most of my remaining bankroll. And I can bankroll those. And now I have, I still, I have five. Yeah. And now I can zonk out because the, the two zonkers are together. Zonk out. It doesn't really matter. They're both on the edge, but you can still do it if you want. All right. So I have one, two, three. So I do have $5. Okay. All right, I think we're, I think we're gonna make it. Uh, I can flea hop the four. That will pay for itself. You know, pay two, gain two. It looks like we're gonna make it. I can flea hop the threes, threes. Okay, and now, yep, two tens, one apart. And now we're done. So my final bankroll is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven. And uh, the two zonkers got brought together. There's no need to zonk out now. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to face down deck, turn over the, the zonkers. And now it's time for scoring. What did I get? It's pretty weak. Uh, yeah, I just got three. Three, a king, king, and a, and a jack. I got three face cards and no aces. So that scores a total of six. But I'll, I'll add that to my... Uh, my. This was, a, this was a legitimate game. So this will be game 21. 
<coughs> here I'm doing it <coughs> on my Google Documents, but you could do it on a piece of paper as well. One with three faces, zero aces, and that, looking at the chart, is a total of six. But hey, at least I won, you know? Oh, I like these cards. So there, there's an example game of Flea Devil. So hopefully this, I, I do think that hopefully this audio session will, you know, if anyone has this audio, they'd be able to like figure out how to play the game. Obviously there will be a printed version of this. And I hope at some point, all of you listening can start to try to play and let me know how you like it. And uh, I, I just absolutely love this game. 15 years in the making. I can't tell you how, I mean, how much time did I spend on this getting to this point? You know, just reading out the rules. Do you understand? It took me 15 years to get these rules. They seem fairly simple. It's just like anything. Like when you hear, why didn't it, why didn't someone else think of it? Well, it's because like if something doesn't exist, it's not hard to just yank it out of oblivion and make it into something, right? It's hard. And I, I was struggling with this game, especially the past like six weeks or so. But what, what finally did it was the uh, the royalty system with aces. And that was so recent. But it really does add attention to the game. A-tension, not attention. Right? The choice of, 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 uh, of making them into royalties or bankrolling them for the jacks, king, queens, kings, and aces. And then I just sort of really found the three zonkers were the perfect level for me. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll try another run with four zonkers, you know, which is which is sort of what you'd get in a regular deck of cards. You have those two jokers plus the two junk cards that can all be zonkers. <coughs> I like to think of zonkers as these kind of like like these weird stoner dudes that are hanging out at the uh, flea market, but they just never buy anything. They just get in the way. And if two of them wind up next to each other, they just like bum each other out. And one of them just leaves, leaves the flea market completely. Yo, Zonker, I'm so bummed out. I'm a Zonker too. I'm going to leave the market. Right? (coughs) Anyway, I think that's it. Re-listen if you need to figure it out. (laughs) No, I'll get the printed one going soon too. Anyway. An audio instruction how to play Flea Devil. Thank you. Flea Devil Solitaire, that is. Hey, it's a bit later now. I'm listening to uh, the sound, the Broadway recording, soundtrack cast, what do they call that? Cast recording of, uh, original recording of uh, Roar of the Grease Paint. Sorry, The Roar of the Grease Paint, The Smell of the Crowd. This is sort of continuing from my fascination with Anthony Newley and, um, this was between his smash hit musical Stop the World I Want to Get Off in the earlier 60s and, of course, the disastrous 1969 movie. What was it called again? Mm-hmm. Ken Hieronymus Merkin Forget Mercy Hump and Find Happiness, which was uh, described by the New York Times <coughs> as career suicide. I talked about that a few episodes ago. Actually quite a good movie, almost impossible to find. If you scrounge around the Internet, you will find it. Um, but it did kind of, uh, did seem to slow his career down a bit, but this one is in the middle, the follow-up, a musical to, uh, kind of in a similar the way of, uh, 1899 being the follow-up to dark, the roar of the grease paint, the smell of the crowd, follow-up to stop the world and want to get off. So it's, uh, 
newly and Bricuse production. And uh, <coughs> I've been trying to uh, get into this because it's kind of an interesting piece of obscure media. It was a failure in England, but somehow became a big success in America. Here's a bit of the song, The Dream, or This Dream. Sorry, that didn't work. Um, I have to say that... I have to say that the genre of musical theater is not a type of music that I particularly care for, but I do want to um, make an effort. You know, I do love some musicals, but more more like the rock musicals, like Rocky Horror, Shock Treatment, um, Godspell. But the more traditional sound, <laughs> it's just a genre that kind of I don't really care for that much. Where I win every battle I fight. But I want to, uh, there's something and here. I, I want to figure it every out. Dragon inside each night. That's Anthony Newley singing. I awake and I wait for this dream. Like this was pretty rel at the time around sixty five. This was really relevant. This was like with it. This was like the hip thing, you know. <coughs> it doesn't. It doesn't like now. It sort of sounds really corny and weird from our twenty twenty two years. But but it's kind of cool. And I know musical theater still go, still still going. My sister in law, of course, Johanna, is in musical theater. Um, but I want to see if I can sort of get into any of these songs. Obviously, it's sort of a play on this the smell of the grease paint and the roar of the crowd being a performer, but the roar of the grease paint. kind of cool. I had never heard of it until I started my Anthony Newley research. A pity it's only a dream. He has, he, he has that singing style. It's only a dream. You know, he has that very, very particular singing style. Such a fabulous dream that I feel that the real world is really <coughs> unreal, really unreal. While the wildest of dreams can come true, they do, but they only come true in this dream. Nice. I'll try to get past my dislike of the genre to listen to some more of this. Because I don't think he did much more. He, then he did Mercy Hump, which was a big, a big disaster, but it was a musical, right? And then I don't know what happened to him after that. After the mercy hump, he kind of like... Uh, a pity. It's a pity what happened it's to him. A dream, but such a well, he did the Willy Wonka stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. <coughs> I have to rewatch Gurney's Slade, too. This is really... All right, all right stop, stop. <laughs> I did watch some of The Strange World of Gurney Slade, which starred newly... It's a very like surreal kind of kind of show from 1960. Let's see. Stop the world! I want to get off. Roar of the grease paint. That one. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. He he wrote the music for that. That's some pretty good music, right? Oompa loompa. That's yeah, us. And he uh, he he. Uh, he also worked on Dr. Doolittle with Rex Harrison, and apparently Rex Harrison was a real son of a bitch, but was a real abusive jerk, but I guess he was a good actor. I don't know. Here's what it says about the uh, the movie. He performed in the autobiographical Fellini-esque X-rated Can Hieronymus Merkin Ever Forget Mercy Hump and Find True Happiness? 
in 69, which he also directed and co-wrote with Herman Rauscher. The film is a surrealist, sex-drenched disaster. I wouldn't say it's sex-drenched. Then again, I saw the R-rated version, not the X-rated version. You'll see more nudity on on, uh, Game of Thrones than this movie. A surrealist, sex-drenched disaster that could only ever have been made in the more freewheeling 60s and starred his then-wife, Joan Collins, who said his self-serving behavior prompted her to get a divorce. He also directed the film, 1971 film Summer Tree, starring Michael Douglas and Brenda Vaccaro. What? (laughs) I never heard of that. He appeared as Quilp in Mr. Quilp, based on Dickens' (coughs) The Old Curiosity Shop. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, things kind of dried up at that point. Yeah, it's kind of sad. Yeah. In the early 70s, Newley became a tax exile and went to live in Florida. <laughs> what? He remained active throughout the decade, particularly in, as a Las Vegas and Catskills Borscht Belt Resort performer, game show panelist such as on Hollywood Squares. Oh, he was on Hollywood Squares? And talk show guest. Newley was among the top five cabaret acts in America for some years. But yeah, I mean, he was like really, really big and relevant during the 60s, yeah. And just kind of like fell off the face of the earth in the 70s. And in the 80s, as we played this clip last time, uh, in 83, he he made the musical about Charlie Chaplin, but that didn't get very far. He was on Late Night with David Letterman? Wow. He sang the theme song to Viewer Mail, wow. Then he re- performed Stop the World, I Want to Get Off in 86 to 87. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting stuff. Anthony Newley. They do. Could I sing like that? They only come true. This what? This dream. This dream. I can't do it. I'm not a singing man like the newly man. And talking about music. There's a great YouTube channel called Progline, P-R-O-G, space L-I-N-E, Progline. And they uh, present full albums from Progressive Rock Universe, the Progressive Rock Universe, uh, that are hard to find elsewhere. And uh, just incredible stuff. And this one I found, I didn't listen to the whole thing, but just the beginning here. This is, when I listened, when I heard this beginning, I'm like, yes, this is what I want music to sound like. So this is Konami with... C-A-N-A-M-I-I with uh, Concept, their album from 1977. Check this out. When I heard this, I'm like, yes. This is what I want music to sound like. Yes. Nice. Now that is music. That's what I call music. This is better than the show tunes. Look at me some synthesizers, man. Can't more music sound like this? Yeah. 
I don't know how the rest. I, I was listening to a little bit of it. I don't know, but I just like this the sound of that introduction, right? Should we find out information about this band? I guess we should. We have the internet. Why not? Uh, hmm. It is. Oh, they're South African progressive folk rock album. Excellent female vocals by Claire Whitaker. Wow. Who knew? <coughs> this is what it says. It reminds of the best UK mid-70s progressive groups. A must-have for all Spriggans, Renaissance, and early Curved Air fans. Insert with group photo and lyrics included. Limited edition, deluxe 180-gram vinyl from the original master tapes. Exact reproduction of the original artwork. Oh, you can buy the... Uh, LP for $32. Should I buy it? No, I have to stop buying pointless things. I can listen to it on YouTube. I don't need the vinyl record. What the hell? Listen. Impulse purchases? No. All right. That's the part that's good with those synthesizers. All right. Anyway, in other news, I recalled I talked about something on the show, like a free streaming channel that only had like like two people watching. And they showed this show, kind of like a weird cyberpunk show about these people from different dimensions, like in this place. And I couldn't remember the name of any of it. I couldn't remember the name of the streaming site or the TV show. It was driving me crazy. I had to scour through my old notes, and I finally found it. Because I know I talked about it on the show, but maybe I didn't write it down in my show notes. Uh, The site is called devotv.com, D-E-V-O-T-V.com. And... uh, there's one person watching. I guess that's me. <coughs> and they only have a few TV shows, but there's a show called Flatland. And, uh, oh, this is Flatland. Is it on now? It's about these people from other dimensions or something? <laughs> Why is there no sound? Did the, oh, it, it's a free streaming, but you got to pay for the sound? No, here you go. It's just a pricey place to have you in his life. You're wrong. I love my girl. You love what he gives you. Is this it? I mean, is this... With me. I said no. <coughs> Looks like a great show, Flatland. Sometimes I do go out late. I know I, I looked. I know I looked it up, Flatland. It gets TV show. It's also a good book, but completely different. It Changed my view of reality. That book, anyway. Uh, a futuristic series about three young Americans in Shanghai who get kidnapped by a mysterious host. And taken to an alternate universe yeah. called Flatland. You're lying about New York. What does it matter? I don't remember. What matters? I, I don't know. Is this, is this show like? It's just like no one owns the uh, the rights to it. Oh, Dennis Hopper's in it. <laughs> Why is it Dennis Hopper is in every single thing that I like? All those obscure movies. This thing. Dennis Hopper is in everything. A, this sci-fi adventure follows the struggle between good and evil forces in an alternate dimension. And what happens when their 4,000-year-old, year-long conflict crosses over into modern-day Shanghai to endanger both worlds? What works in Chicago doesn't work here. Let's go. Come on. Get the car. Is this like another dimension? Like, what's going on here? Oh, they're in Shanghai, China. This is episode four, I think. I that didn't go over very well. I'm going to join the live chat here. I guess I'll be chatting with myself. There's no one else watching. What is up with this channel? 
did they buy the rights to this show? What, what did it cost? Fifteen bucks to have the rights to this show? Where's the sci-fi angle? Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I thought this was a uh, commercial-free uh, network. Uh, yeah. Looks like they're they're inserting space for uh, ads. But anyway, there's other places to watch uh, Flatland. Maybe I'll maybe I'll check it out. Oh, here's the trailer for Flatland. I think we probably watched did this last time, but it's on Apple TV. No, I have to watch an ad before I can watch my trailer. We can't let it die. Echo 3, the new Apple TV show. For 4,000 years, an <laughs> apocalyptic battle has been raging in an alternate dimension. Yes. Now, one man has come forward through time to recall Dennis Hopper. Let's do it, Khan. What? The apocalypse? When is this from? 2002. His name is Smith, and in this timeline, he doesn't exist. Dennis Hopper, Flatland. guy in a boat got blown up the past has not happened yet from xenon pictures what the hell oh you can watch it on free v every july 4th Everything. hollywood celebrates america's oh, birthday shut up what is this crap i didn't ask to listen to that anyway <coughs> i finally remembered it isn't that annoying when you can't remember something but you remember it but you can't remember the name of it you need a name or something to look something up online <coughs> i usually save links to things but in this case i didn't so, yeah. Yeah. All right, back on the porch, out in the freezing weather, finishing up this uh, cigar here. Dulce. And I just wanted to mention that hoodie I got a few weeks ago from American Giant, the classic full-zip hoodie. I just absolutely love it. I've been wearing it constantly around the house, everywhere, because it can get kind of drafty when it's cold out. This is a, it's like a heavyweight like cotton fabric and very well constructed. And uh, I, I got ads for it on Facebook. It's like the best hoodie ever. And then you go there. It's $138. You can buy a hoodie for like like $9 in some places. Why $138? I got one on sale for like $90. <coughs> it was, my, it, I, it was, uh, it was, I used my Christmas money. <laughs> and... Uh, the cl- I got the clay color, which is no longer available. They, they were blowing out clay. I really do like the clay color. But, um, yeah, I have to say I really love this hoodie. And uh, this is not an ad. This is not a promotion. I'm just saying I just wear it constantly, and it feels great. Um, is it worth ninety $138? I really don't know. I guess it's made in America. That's why it's so expensive. But, anyway, I just want to let you know, just a follow-up on that. If you're looking for a hoodie, it's made in Middlesex, North Carolina. If you're looking for a hoodie or something, you can, uh, <coughs> you have the money. I don't know. It's a uh, classic full zip is the one I have. Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. 
Anyway. Yeah, so I hope uh, hope some of you, all of you, check out Flea Devil Solitaire. It's, uh, you know, it, as, I, as I said, it's been a very strange um, process, you know. And I have to think, like, subconsciously, I knew it could be better. And, uh, you know, when I think walkie-talkies just two months ago and royalties are uh, just a few weeks ago, and ace royalties are just like last week. It's really fairly recent that I finally pulled it all together. And it's the kind of thing where if you just learn it, that's it. You can play anywhere, anytime with a deck of cards, right? Isn't it it's just like it's like a, it's like a almost free entertainment, right? There's always a deck of cards around. You can buy one at any five and dime, you know. The scoring chart, yeah, but I mean, you, I mean, even if you don't have the scoring chart you understand the logic behind it you can reproduce one with a calculator or even without a calculator fairly easily you you you, you can do um well i don't know if you if you have the new math each of those calculations will take up an entire page of writing but if you use the old math of multiplication you you know you could do it pretty quickly by hand why do that though just use the calculator on your phone <coughs> yeah i've been having such a great time with flea devil and i just you know as i said a few times in the past on the show I feel bad for all the people in the past that weren't able to play Flea Devil because it wasn't invented yet. You know? Just imagine everyone, like in the Old West, when they once they were done playing poker for the day in the old saloon, you could just sit in the back. You know, because like, like the guy that was the poker dealer, what did he do later in the day? You know, you always see this saloon, right? <coughs> right, they're playing poker, the dealer's there. And they have those little shutter doors, and this cowboy walks in, and there's a big barroom brawl. And but like later, like when the place shuts down, like what does the dealer do? Does he have a room there? Does he have to, does he live like in a hotel, or does he like what does he do at night? You know what I mean? He could bring the cards with him and play Flea Devil Solitaire in long into the night by uh, candlelight. But he can't actually because it was it wasn't invented yet. Wah, wah. Uh, how about? People in like the steampunk era, the 1890s. You know, how about in 1899 on that ship in the virtual dust no, simulation? No, that's a spoiler. I said I wasn't going to say anything. They could play Flea Devil Solitaire, but it wasn't invented yet. How about in the Roaring Twenties? Nope, sorry, it wasn't invented yet. Thirties in the Depression. That'd be a good time to play it because I mean, it uh, probably you know things were hard to come by, but a deck of cards you probably could get, right? But wasn't invented yet. How about in the swinging fifties and the sixties? The greasers listening to the songs on the jukeboxes. They can't play it. It wasn't invented yet. The hippies, man, groove the the groovy hippies. They can't play it. It wasn't invented yet. How about into the 1970s with Richard, Richard Nixon? When he retires for the day, he can play Flea Devil Solitaire. What is this? This is not the right Nixon voice. I am not a crook. I play Flea Devil Solitaire instead. No, he can't play it. It wasn't invented yet. How about in the 80s? Well, Ronald Reagan, well, you know, Mommy, when I go in, have some jelly beans and play Flea Devil Solitaire. No, he can't play it. It wasn't invented yet. In the 1990s, President Clinton plays the sax and plays Flea Devil Solitaire. I feel your pain, and I play Flea Devil. No, he can't play because it's not invented yet. And on and on and so on and so on. 
Someone had to invent it. And that someone is me. <laughs> it's invented now. Now people can play. Will they play? I don't know. It's a bit of, I mean, I, I, as you probably surmised, it's not the easiest game to learn. I know I should probably make YouTube videos about it, but, you know. I don't know. I don't know that it, it's, I don't think it's, I don't really want it to be my life's mission to promote Flea Devil Solitaire. My life's mission is to promote this, this channel, the Ansug, you know. But, I do think it's a, a really, really cool game that I think a lot of people could enjoy. I mean, it's addictive. It, I love it. I play it all the time. You put it down, you pick it up. You know, like when you're when you're playing a game and you have to wait for your opponent to do something, you just play Flea Devil. You know? It's great. It's wonderful. But the thing I don't know, because again, I don't have any playtesters. I'm the only one that's played it. I don't know if anyone else, like, would kind of... I have to imagine other people would enjoy it the same way I do. <laughs> but... I guess I can't know until we 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 uh, we get to that point, you know. But as I did, I think last earlier this year, or last year I researched. There's no other solitaire games where you just hold the deck in your hand at the whole time, it stays as one deck. There's nothing else like that, you know. It does not exist. It's unique. I mean, I might. The one thing I might do is uh, I might make it make sell it as like a deck. I will not try to hide the fact that you can just use regular playing cards, but, um, you know, I, I, I did use make playing cards a few months back to make that Cyber Grandfather deck just a little one-off thing. Um, so it would be pretty easy. I mean, I have to design the artwork. I'll just put the logo on the back and just use, like, you know, whatever. I can make my own, design my own playing cards, you know. And then the Zonkers, each one would have the scoring chart on it, right? That would be kind of like... The, where the scoring chart goes, there'd be four zonkers. All four of them would be zonkers with Z on it instead of J for Joker, and uh, you know, you'll have the score chart on. I probably should do that. That would be a bit of work, but I know I could throw that together just to get it out there, like as a, an actual game. And then I don't know, can you include little instructions or something in there? I don't know. That little instruction sheet that could be kind of cool. I was also thinking of doing it as a book, but I really. I don't know. <laughs> Again, I don't want to... It may seem easy. It, may, it doesn't seem easy, but, you know, I have a limited amount of life resources in terms of time, energy, whatever, creative energy, whatever you want to say. You know, I really don't want to blow it all on Flea Devil when I have to work on the Onsug and my show here, The Overnight Skate. See, this is my internal struggle. <laughs> I invented this great game. What am I going to do about it? But it was kind of cool. On uh, Thursday, I was playing it in the subway. I was actually sitting in the subway playing Flea Devil. I don't think anyone noticed, but it's just a little bit out of the ordinary. But I can just imagine in the future, uh, half the people on the subway are playing Flea Devil. It'll be like a big, uh, a big craze. It'll be the Flea Devil craze, you know? It'll be a fad. <laughs> the Flea Devil fad. <coughs> but as I said, you know, every moment you spend playing Flea Devil, you're not on your phone, you know? So it's digital detox in a box. Maybe a bit of a stretch as a marketing concept, but hey. Hey, what do you want? And with that, I'd like to say thank you so much for patching in to this episode of The Overnightscape. It is much appreciated. Uh, we're here in the Onsug, a radio station inside a book. I'm your host, Frank Edward Nora. Just go to onsug.com, O-N-S-U-G.com. 
for all your on-sug needs. Get all the latest shows. You can participate in a show called Overnight Escape Central. Every week there's a new topic. This, this week's topic was outer space. Now, you know, <laughs> that's a topic that I really dig into with my own theories about outer space. So you can hear that one. I went into everything about outer space. The theories, the concepts, is it real, is it not real? I, I, I know I'm on the fringes here with my theories about outer space, but they're just theories. I don't know if they're true or not, so check that one out. A new topic each week. Please participate. And hey, there are hundreds and hundreds of episodes on all, every topic. In, fun, in fact, if you download the, the book itself, you can, you can buy the book as a print book. And I am really started, I started work this past week, like, yeah, starting last week on the new edition of the Onsug book coming out next year in 2023. And uh, <clears throat> I, uh, yeah, I'm very happy with my, my early work on the next edition. But anyway, in the book, which you can buy a copy of or download a PDF of, just go to onsug.com, click on a picture of the book, and you can get that. Um, there's a list of all the topics in Overnight Escape. There's hundreds, alphabetical list of hundreds of topics. Absolutely amazing. And you can listen to any of them. Of course, you know, our archive here is massive. Over 13,000 hours, over 10,000 individual episodes. You can find them all now on the Internet Archive. Again, look on the sidebar there, sidebar there on onsug.com, where it says Onsug Radio. That is the current archive. The hell? <laughs> the hell kind of sound is that? Um, eventually, I'd like everything to be inside the book in some way. We're work- I'm working on that. Um, but, yeah, check out Central. And you can be on Central, really. Please Consider it. Listen to the latest episode, get the next topic, and then send your audio into PQ River in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. You'll be happy you did, and so will we. We would love to hear from you. Now, of course, uh, anytime you watch a TV show where they question the nature of reality, you wind up, uh, well, I notice this myself. I always wind up, wait a minute. In this TV show, the people are in a world that's not real. Am I also in a world that's not real? Well, it's a question I ponder constantly. Really, I do. I mean, I, the nature of this reality I'm living in, I don't know what's going on. It feels, I mean, it does feel like it must be artificial in some way, shape, or form. But something that's not artificial, a natural high in the cosmic audio spectrum, is here now. And you will enjoy it as this airplane is going by overhead you are entering the other side fling in the spring at Mount Airy Lodge or Pocono Gardens. Beautiful rooms, fabulous food, headline entertainment. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Call 966-7210 for reservations at Pocono Gardens and The spoilers will return in a moment. Who says Yoo-Hoo is just for kids? Who says Yoo-Hoo is just for kids? Who says Yoo-Hoo is just for kids? You 
Yoo-Hoo is for anybody who can't resist a delicious chocolate drink. Great all-round soft drink value for taste, for refreshment, plus low-fat milk nourishment. And Yoo-Hoo's non-carbonated. Instead of filling you up, keeps your action up. Who says Yoo-Hoo is just for kids? Try Yoo-Hoo Chocolate Drink from Iroquois Brands. This is the Telfax 10 second commercial for three days prior to air. Hey Night Owl, it's coming to you Chicago all night every night starting at midnight in three days on channel 32, Night Owl.
It's time to really raise the uh, tempo a little bit on this program. We all remember the fun-loving Beatles of the 60s, the world's premier band. Hey, the Beatles of every decade, that is to say. Well, now the Yellow Submarine gets involved in some international nuclear hijinks in the hunt for Yellow October. <laughs> hey Ringo, yes, look eh? out! The, look out the port side of the sub. Oh my! It looks god. like there's some sort of a nuclear submarine chasing us. Oh my god! I'm scared. What am I going to do about it? Where's Paul? Hey guys, how you doing? Oh, how's it going there? Hanging in there? Yeah, you know, I saw that magic. That magic. Uh, Glove before. Oh, really? Yeah, it was in a hallway full of like la- uh, magic colors and stuff. Oh, my God. Oh, no, it's an emergency. Oh, my God, we have to go out Ringo, we have to fake a nuclear accident. How are we going to do that? You bloody no, don't be daft. We what? have to fake the nuclear accident so oh, they can take the idea. yellow submarine. Oh, my God. That's going to be tough. Ringo, go get the uranium. Okay, I got the uranium. Now, shove it down your throat, Ringo. <laughs> What do you want to do? Kill me, you bloody blow? Hey, look, Ringo. This isn't even our real voices. It doesn't matter. This oh, is a cartoon. You can't die. Oh, shut up. Shove it down your throat, Ringo. And when Sean Connery comes, he won't get us. <laughs> Here he comes now. Hey, look. This yellow submarine is mine now. Uh-oh. Our nuclear accident. Goodbye. Now, you see there, Ringo. That saved our lives. It sure did. You also gave me a sore throat. Oh, there you go. Always joking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so good. That was a good day. Woo-wee. We're, 
We're very. <laughs> Alright, we'll get through this and then maybe we'll we'll, we'll, we'll we'll get ourselves on track Maybe we should can it Wait Fuck while I'm eating Alright, well, first of all This episode Was organized so much And now <laughs> Excuse me, John But I think we went through a lot of preparation To get this show on the road now hey, I didn't. Fred, this show sucks too. <laughs> Come here, you fuck.
before my eyes. Delicious Farouk-flavored tricks. With magic, I'll get some. Ta-da! Wow! A magician! We're having a good, nutritious breakfast with tricks. Oh, I'll do some tricks. Nothing in my hat. Presto! Delicious Farouk-flavored tricks. And tricks has fruit tastes I like. There's lemon, there's orange in every bite. Woo! Rich chocolate topping, crisp light center, and a crunch of roasted peanuts. Summit cookie bars. After only one bite, you'll love Summit. Cause it's chocolate, peanuts, and chocolate, peanuts, and light. Now with a crispier center, and more peanuts too. On sale this week, Tyco's Jeep CJ Snake Track. Watch the Jeep twist and turn. Just $29.88. And Tommy's Digital Derby puts you in the driver's seat. Sale price $13.99. You'll have fun with Snoopy Soft House from Knickerbocker. Only $14.99. And as Peter Panda says, it's so nice to know that prices are low and shopping is friendly and fun. Show Jim. The Alpha Pro. The Alpha Recon Sled here. The electronic sound system. Blast off. Communications. And red alert. Two Astro Pilots here. And here. Life support cable for spacewalking and docking. Looks great. Now for the crucial test. The Electronic Alpha Probe by Fisher Price. I was right in the middle of a caramello when I found gold. Something wonderful happens when you bite into a caramello. You discover golden creamy caramel deep inside every chocolate bite. Right in the middle of a caramello when I found gold. Only caramello has luscious creamy soft caramel deep inside delicious Cadbury's chocolate. I was right in the middle of a caramello when I found gold. I saw Rowdy Rowdy Piper for sale at your nearest handlebars. Got to care about bikers for sale at the landmark. Got plenty of graphical representation. First place for the animals that are rocks. China tipping over into my helmet clamp. Cars with limp wrists like turtle riots. God damn, can I eat trams and glass people? Yellow frog legs for my evil spell. Yellow frog legs for my evil spell. That control the evil swimming pool hells. 
dead children that have never lived. About time to tell existence that nothingness has chosen God as the first freckle. When things start getting tough And you feel you've had enough Do you run and hide or curl up in a ball? Well, I once heard great advice How to turn bad into nice And imagination
We lived rather modestly. For four years, we lived in an apartment in Park Fairfax in Alexandria, Virginia. The rent was $80 a month. And we saved for the time that we could buy a house. Now, this will surprise you because it is so little, I suppose, as standards generally go of people in public life. First of all, we've got a house in Washington which cost $41,000 and in which we owe $20,000. We have a house in Whittier, California, which cost $13,000 and on which we owe $3,000. My folks are living there at the present time. I have just $4,000 in life insurance, plus my GI policy, which I've never been able to convert and which will run out in two years. I have no life insurance whatever on Pat. I have no life insurance on our two youngsters, Tricia and Julie. I own a 1950 Oldsmobile car. We have our furniture. We have no stocks and bonds of any type. We have no interest of any kind, direct or any indirect, in any business. Now, that's what we have. What do we owe? Well, in addition to the mortgage, the $20,000 mortgage on the house in Washington, the $10,000 one on the house in Whittier, I owe $4,500 to the Riggs Bank in Washington, D.C., with interest of 4.5%. I owe $3,500 to my parents, and the interest on that loan, which I pay regularly, because it's the part of the savings they made through the years they were working so hard, I pay regularly 4% of it. And then I have a $500 loan, which I have on my life insurance. That's what we have. It isn't very much. But Pat and I have the satisfaction that every dime that we've got is honestly ours. I should say this, that Pat doesn't have a mink coat. But she does have a respectable Republican cloth coat. And I always tell her that she'd look good in anything. One other thing I probably should tell you, because if I don't, they'll probably be saying this about me, too. We did get something, a gift, after the election. A man down in Texas heard Pat in the radio mention the fact that our two youngsters would like to have a dog. And believe it or not, the day before we left on this campaign trip, we got a message from the Union Station in Baltimore saying they had a package for us. We went down to get it. You know what it was? It was a little Cocker Spaniel dog in a crate that he'd sent all the way from Texas. Black and white, spotted. And our little girl, Tricia, the six-year-old, named it Checkers. And you know, the kids, like all kids, love the dog. And I just want to say this right now, that regardless of what they say about it, we're going to keep it.
strange weather here on my porch in northern New Jersey in January of 2020 on a freakishly warm weekend. I'm out here in my, my t-shirt, a fish t-shirt, and uh, just, just relaxing with a scotch on the rocks, a nice, nice scotch. The Glenlivet, 14 years really living it up and I'm glad to be here on the other side you know usually I'm on the other side of this other side what is it the main side <laughs> but here I am for a few minutes on the other side it's pretty cool yeah I figured uh, I'll come out on my porch and do the other side here man I'm telling you got some things done today you know I have my cardboard laboratory in the basement <laughs> it's uh it's like I we, we we you know get all this stuff delivered from Amazon and these online services. Then you have all these boxes, and you're ideally supposed to cut it up into 18-inch segments. And I, I see around here the nights that the, the one night a week people put the boxes out. They they don't they don't follow any rules. They just chuck all the boxes out there, any which way, willy-nilly. And um, but I want to at least try to follow the rules as uh, you have a big bunch of boxes but when you cut them up into the uh, the smaller segment the smaller segments it really tames them it tames the chaos of the cardboard boxes when they're all in small sections it's kind of a cool process in my little cardboard laboratory in the basement yeah I figured I would uh, I don't want to do it on the porch anymore I'm too visible to the outside world with my knife I actually have my knife in the pocket my pocket here I actually went to the supermarket and the knife was still in my pocket. I don't know if it's legal. Is it legal to have a pocket? It's just a pocket knife. It's like a, a red husky utility knife. It's like a box cutter. Very good at cutting boxes. It has a nice feel to the hand. And it, when you're done, you just sort of fold it over, you know? Nice. Husky is, uh, I guess the Home Depot bought the brand for their various products. But yeah, then, you know, just uh, once a week it gets picked up and who knows what happens to the cardboard after that. I don't know. <laughs> it's what they know. It's known as the cardboard mystery. But it's so tranquil here on the porch. And it's cool to be able to patch into the other side. It's almost like another dimension in the Overnightscape Underground Universe. I'm like patching into the other side. Some people walking by on the sidewalk. There's people. They're my neighbors. Hi, neighbor. You're my neighbor, too, here on the other side.
Hi, I'm Marshall Brodeen, a professional magician. You know, most magic tricks are easy once you know the secret. Now take magic cards. You don't have to be a magician to perform all kinds of amazing card tricks because it works by itself. Have someone take a card, place it back in the deck, tap the deck, it comes to the top. Put it back in the middle, and it's back on top again. Make two or three piles. Whatever pile they point to, the card is there. Now, for more fun, take the top card, tap it, and it changes to their card. Place it on the bottom, and they all change to their card. Cut the deck, and they're all different again. Six or sixty, you can work TV Magic Cards, the mechanical deck that works all by itself. TV Magic Cards, just one ninety-eight at Dominic's Finer Foods, Goldblatt's, or wherever you see the sign, and at Walgreen and Walgreen H&C drugstores. to control of a nuclear power plant. That would be bad. It would be interesting, but bad. What if two regular Joes took control of the Vatican? That would be sacrilege. What if two dudes took control of the Chicago Cubs? That <laughs> wouldn't make any difference, would it? Nope. Well then, what if two well-informed young men took charge of a network newscast? Now that would be good. That would be News Weasels, an unusual look at an unusual world. Saturday at 8.30 Eastern and Pacific, only on E.